this monkey for now, Frankenstein? I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Faravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Your List Sucks, our regularly scheduled programming. No draft this week. Everybody got used to the drafts without doing a draft. Uh, we're back to top tens. We're doing Kurosawa. Honestly, I never thought this show would happen. Uh, we planned it to the beginning of the year. Uh, back in the spring when Cody said we're rethinking the entire schedule, I thought this would be the first episode that got scrubbed. Few weeks later, he's like, "Hey, you want to do the carousel episode?" I'll be like, "Yes, please." Uh, so we went and found these guys. Great panel we got tonight. Uh, before we get started, I'm just going to run down real quick uh, at the top of the show. Next week, Coho's got his top 40 musicals going. He's got a solid panel for that. That's going to be the whole, basically, the whole month of August. Uh, then we got another month or a couple weeks off, I guess, uh, to do regular shows. And then later on in the fall, we will have the uh, top 100 scenes hosted by me. We have three panelists. We're considered options for a fourth, so if you're interested, uh, give me or Coho or Cody a call or a message and let us know um, because we are trying to narrow that down not soon just so everybody has time to make their list. I have time to watch everything I'm going to watch. Uh, but that's either here for near for night. Then we're talking Kurosawa, um, one of the best directors to ever do it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. And like I said, we've got an awesome panel. Join us is Dylan. Uh, Dylan, you were one of the first people to uh, speak up when, when this came up. Uh, how you feel about tonight's show? Uh, I feel pretty good. I mean, yeah, this I'm excited to be on talking about one of my favorite directors ever. And, you know, this I feel like I will do all right. But I, there's one movie that I'm sure everyone else will have pretty highly that just barely missed out on my list that might sink me. So I'm a little worried about that, but it should be good. All right. Uh, next, we've got John Petrovich. John, um, you're another uh, guy here. Kind of new to the community. I know you've been on YLS a couple of times, but I know this is something you're excited about as well. Um, what are your thoughts going to the Kurosawa Top 10? Yeah, uh, Kurosawa is a really important director uh, for me, like when I was first getting into film. So I'm excited. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, I mean, he has so many great films. And yeah, I'm just excited to talk about them. Am I going to win tonight? <laughs> Almost certainly not. But um, yeah, I'm just excited to be here. All right, Joseph, you and I have probably talked about uh, Carousel more than I have with anybody else here in the panel or in the community. You and I have talked about a lot. So uh, we're happy to have you here. And uh, what are you thinking about tonight's show? I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and last but not least, of course, uh, the guy that we said we were doing this episode, we penciled in the slot. We knew he'd want to be here. Uh, Paul, how are you doing tonight? Well, I don't know. I I, re I thought that was, was Kiyoshi Kurosawa, so I guess I rewatched <laughs> Bright Future and Wife of a Spy for no reason. Uh, but no, I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it sort of at one point became known as the Kurosawa guy, I guess, in the community or whatever. Um, but mostly, yeah, I mean, probably my favorite filmmaker of all time, and uh, a lot of movies that I honestly a lot that I hadn't watched in a while, um, and I'm sure we'll have differing lists. Honestly, I never come on the show to win. Like that's just not how I do the show. I come on here to talk about movies I want to talk about, and uh, if I lose, it's fine. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. 
And honestly, winning and losing is going to be a big deal this episode. I mean, nobody's really going to lose. This is the traditional episode. Your list sucks. Nobody's list is going to suck. Obviously, we have a lot of great movies to pick from. So um, that's it's going to you know. I know people like to see me come on here and get angry, but I don't think any of you are going to be able to make me angry with these picks. So um, with that said, we'll get started. We're going to start with our ten through eight. Uh, Dylan, why are you going to get started off? Yeah. So my number ten is Matadayo. My number nine is The Bad Sleep Well. Yikes. And my number eight is Dreams. Same spot for me. All right. Okay. So when after Dylan talks about it, you can talk. Uh, but go ahead with your 10. Yeah, so Matadayo, this is one that I just saw very recently this year. And, yeah, I just love how, like, simple this is. Just basically, like, I love, I love movies just about friendships, basically, and, like, how, like, this professor is, like, so revered by his his uh his students that they keep in touch with them and have this long lasting friendship like throughout their lives and it's just you know very simple simple like storytelling like there's not really a there's not really like an overarching story it's just kind of mostly vibes or individual stories and i found it really warm and just you know entertaining i think the main actor who plays the main who plays the professor i don't know the name of the character or the actor off the top of my head but he's like so good in the main role just fantastic and i think it's really interesting just as his final film in his filmography like i think it adds like a lot of power to where the film ends i won't spoil it but yeah it's a very solid film and my number eight is dreams this one i i like i'm kind of like highlighting his later career in the 90s with these two picks that I'm talking about, because uh, I think he he could have like settled into and just making s- standard like Kurosawa fare at this point, but he's, I like how he still kept like pushing himself as a as a director like later in his career. And like this film, I think is one of his more experimental ones, where it's just individual stories of him adapting dreams that he's had in the past. And I think it's really fascinating and just honestly like one of his more personal films as a director like just learn because if these are like actually based on dreams that he actually had it's just interesting learning more about him i guess and yeah there's a fantastic one my favorite one is probably the uh vincent van gogh one where martin scorsese plays vincent van gogh which is pretty cool but yeah i love this film a lot yeah paul, you yeah I, nobody, nobody else had this besides paul right you just these two guys at eight yeah okay so Dreams for me is, I don't know that it's necessarily like as masterfully crafted and like as sort of perfect, I think, as some of his other movies. But to me, it shows a lot um, of the sort of wide palette of his visual style and aesthetic and all the possible um, styles that he can dip his toe into here and there. I think like each segment has its own personality and is basically like its own thing. And if a movie like that, I think a lot of people like, you know, there'd be a thing where you connect to some segments more than others. But to me, like the sum of the whole thing is what makes it so incredible. And it has some of his best visual filmmaking, I think that he's ever done, honestly, especially in the Vincent Van Gogh segment, but also the segment of the man walking along the volcano where the the young boy um, seeing this march go on, like into this village that he follows into the forest, like all these really indelible images that really stick with me. Um, And I think it's just a unique film in film history like this. It's a lot of similarities to Robert Altman's Three Women, where it's literally like a movie made based on the dreams that the filmmaker had in their own life. And um, to me, that's always like a fascinating concept. And I just think it's such a beautiful display of like, this one is great. Like his career is almost over at this point, but um, it's him sort of using all those years to see all the things that he can capture um, in individual images. And I think that's, that's really something special. 
Okay, uh, so Dylan's number 10 was uh, Metadaya. And I'm just going to say this right now. Um, a lot of things will get mispronounced tonight, mostly by me. Don't be douchey about it. Garth, if, you, Garth, if you're in the chat, I'm calling it out now. You'd have to call me out when I do it. Just everybody be cool. Um, but this movie, um, I had not seen. I just watched this for the first time last night, actually. And I was really kind of hesitant going in because I'm thinking, you know, final film of an aged director, personal story, lower stakes. I thought this could be kind of boring. And uh, I actually loved it. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was um, a great story, uh, like you said, Dylan, just about this guy and um, you know his relationship with these, with these people. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have like the the flair of of a lot of you know the, the scope of a lot of his stuff that we're used to uh, visually, um, but it's just such a perfect character for his for his kind of filmmaking. And I think it's a perfect character, like you said, to close out his career. And just like the the relationships, between, most of the stories him talking him talking to these, his, these students of his. And I just love it because there, there are points in the story where his stories aren't that interesting and his jokes aren't that funny, uh, but it makes it even more endearing when his students still are like enthralled by everything he has to say, just how much they care about this guy and how much he means to them. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. I'm going to rewatch this again soon. Um, nine got skipped and then Dreams. Yeah, this is another one I just watched for the first time this year. Uh, it's very different than a lot of his other stuff, but that's cool. Like you said, Paul, it's towards the end of his career, and he's still experimenting with this kind of stuff. Um, still, it's not his first color movie, but he's he's very much experimenting with color. Experimenting with color, um, and it, I think this really shows off hit uh, Kurosawa as an artist, like a, an actual like painter. Um, you see, I think you see a lot of that in, in this work. Um, so yeah, it's not one that I'm going to go back to a lot, just because. Um, it is more of just a visual uh, experience than it is like, an actual like narrative or story. Um, so those are the movies I don't love as much. Um, but for what it is, it was great. Um, so that's Dylan's uh, bottom three. John, we'll move on. You give us your 10 through All right. My opening salvo. Uh, I'm going to dip my toes a little bit into late style with my number 10, like uh, Dylan, and go with uh, Rhapsody in August. Uh, my number nine is Drunken Angel. And then my number eight is Hidden Fortress. Uh, I have that at 10. Okay, so you go after John when he talks about it. Okay, yeah. So uh, Rhapsody in August. Uh, if I could just open with a little bit of a story. Um, when I was first getting into film, going to the library to check out like Kurosawa movies, there were six Kurosawa films. Uh, five of them are your, your you know typical canonical classics that are almost certainly going to show up later. And then there was this one. Uh, this one is like... It's about uh, a hibakusha, so a woman that survives the, the bombing of, of Nagasaki, and then uh, her like two generations of the same family kind of interacting with each other. Um, and the this movie was pretty controversial when it came out because um, it, it, it treats uh, obviously when you're talking about uh, the atomic bombings of Japan, it's it's a very loaded topic. It's very controversial. Um, but I think it's pretty undeniable that it was a pretty ter terrible thing that happened, and it had like a such a, a terrible human cost, and um, really, you know, literally quite changed history going forward. And anyway, the movie is about um, these three generations that grew up in very distinct periods of, of Japan's history. There's the Hibakusha who grew up uh, and had to experience the bombing. Uh, her husband passed away. That, I don't think that's spoiling it. Um, there's her, her, her children who grew up in uh, the immediate post-war era of Japan. Uh, and then their, their children, or her uh, the main character's grandchildren, who grew up uh, as Japan was like um, 
was going through this economic resurgence. It was going through its tiger economy phase. And I think that this movie is just very powerful because um, you see all three generations of this of this family kind of coming to terms with what um, what this you know horrific thing that happened to their country to their family, uh, like the legacy of trauma that it leaves, and how all three of them sort of process that throughout the film. Um, I think it's it's something that's um, something unusual in Kurosawa's oeuvre, uh, and and something that. Um, I think is very, very powerful. Um, this one also gets memed on a lot because Richard Gere is in it, um, plays a half Japanese man. That's pretty funny. Uh, it's a little bit odd, but uh, Drunken Angel. Um, this movie is, uh, it's pretty messy, but I like it because it has so many ideas and it's so, um, it, it, it feels just very raw. It's it's one of his post, like immediate post-war um, noirs. The other one, I'm, which I'm also sure is probably going to come up to, um uh my my main the main draw for me to this one is just the post-war milieu that's something that i've always been interested in um and and just the way like sort of the geography that uh kurosawa can create in that film um of the black markets of you know this sort of seedy tokyo underbelly um and then of course there's toshiro mifune i'm gonna be defaulting to just talking about toshiro mifune a lot he's one of my favorite actors um uh I, I didn't think it was possible for a performance to be both tubercular and cat-like at the same time. Uh, and he threads that needle really great. And of course he has great chemistry with Takashi Shimura as he always does in all of, all of his films. Um, one other thing, one other reason why I like this film is because this one, um, you know, his po uh, Kurosawa's post-war movies, you know, often take aim at, at sort of Japan moving. It, it was much more confrontational with Japan, like sort of moving forward into the future. And this one uh, has a lot of, um, commentary or i guess it's the most explicit um kurosawa movie where he, he sort of tackles like the american um post-war occupation and i think uh, it's just not something that you see very often in his films i feel so that's kind of interesting and then number eight is hidden fortress uh my enjoyment of this one is, is pretty uncomplicated i just think it's a really fun adventure film and it's also like i think it's really funny uh star wars famously cribs a lot from this movie like oh, all of the movies in the Star Wars franchise could from it. Um, the whole droid dynamic, uh, the whole adventure thing, like episode one, that's just basically it. Um, I just think it's really funny. I think it's really fun. It's a little bit overlong, sure. Uh, but it's also, it has all of those like Kurosawa touches, uh, it, you know, his propulsive edit, like his propulsive editing uh, style, it, just these beautiful, you know, compositions, the rain, it has everything. Um, Maybe it's his least, his most accessible film, but I, it's still one of my favorites. I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, all right. And just for this as well, right? Yeah, this was at my 10. Uh, yeah, about, John mentioned the Star Wars comparisons. Aside, oh, when I watched it, in addition to trying to see, oh, there's that from the, from Star Wars, the peasants are bickering, like C-3PO and R2-D2, and also the whole plot of the princess going undercover to protect her identity. I I agree that this movie sense of fun is a lot of fun. I think that I like how there are some movie. Well, there are some movies that I can imagine that people who aren't introduced to Kurosawa might be might feel daunted a bit because of length or because of plots. But I think this movie is very accessible because of how much fun and also the action is very fun. I think Princess Yuki's. Uh, the, the the whole part of, of her trying to protect her identity is also very fun. I love the parts where she's uh, 
not to get into too much spoilers, but the part where she's trying to not talk to the peasants, I thought it was a very interesting touch. That bonfire scene is also really beautifully choreographed. Maybe a little long overall, but it's still really, really fun. All right, uh, number 10, Rhapsody in August. Uh, only time I'll have to say this tonight, I haven't seen this one yet. Uh, like Dylan mentioned, I just it's not really not available anywhere. Um, but I do want to see it just more out of curiosity. Of all the American actors that, that could have worked with him, it was Richard Gere. And I just I just want to see how much magic, if, 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 if Kurosawa was able to turn the wooden puppet into a real live boy. Oh, yeah, Kirk's um, guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because um, that that that's just so. Somebody else mentioned in the chat. Just of all the American actors, it's Richard Gere. Um, so definitely go check us out. And it does sound interesting. That just the story that uh, John was describing. So um, as soon as I can find it somewhere, I will watch it. Uh, Drunken Angel is another one I rewatched in the past couple weeks, uh, and this is a really good movie. The thing that struck me on this rewatch was all the musical elements. Um, the opening like prologue is almost like something out of West Side Story. You have like the music and people dancing, and they have the guitar player through. They use that to introduce the uh, the villain, uh, and then you have the, that that dance scene, that just real intense, weird dancing with the fune. Um, so it's there's a lot of really cool stuff going on here, and yeah, the uh, the chemistry between them two is great. This is probably one of my top, you know, two or three of our favorite movies together. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then Hidden Fortress, like you guys said, uh, great adventure movie. Um, I love Mufune's character in this this one. Uh, he always plays as, as many samurais. He, you know, we talk about our cowboy actors like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, a lot of these guys. How they just play the same character every time. Can't accuse Mufune of that. Every time he does a samurai movie, he's playing it at least a little different. And just kind of like that uh, hard exterior, but like the he had that like he, this may be like the most pure hero he's played. Um, so I really like his character. This and yeah, like he's like just those great battle scenes at the beginning, uh, just the intrigue of them trying to sneak her around. Uh, a lot of cool stuff going on in this as well. And a really great ending. I like how this ends as well. Um, so that was John's uh, three. Now Joseph, we'll move on to you uh, for your ten through eight. Uh, so my ten, we already talked about the Hidden Fortress. Uh, my nine is Stray Dog. Uh, and that's my... a yes. That's a yes. Okay. And my eight is Throne of Blood. Yikes. Yikes as well. Okay, Paul, move on to you. Um, I suspect I probably won't get to talk about mine either, but that's fine. Uh, my number 10 is uh, Dersu Uzala. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, my number 9 is Throne of Blood. And my number 8 is the aforementioned stream, so we can just move on. All right. Okay, Dylan, we'll come back to you. This is uh, where the uh, gloves come off, so to speak. Everybody gets to speak and uh, talk about the picks. Uh, Dylan will do your uh, 7 through 4 now. Uh, my, so my number seven is Throne of Blood. That's also my number seven. Does okay. anybody, nobody has it higher? That's kind of surprising. Yeah. Was, okay. Um, so everybody will talk about it now. Good. You guys start telling. Yeah. So I, as I think I said in like a, a movie war zone episode recently, I'm like weirdly obsessed with the story of Macbeth. It's like my favorite Shakespearean uh, play. And so when I heard that Kurosawa did an adaptation of it, I was like very excited. And yeah, I think it's just it's just fantastic. I think it's like a great uh, gateway for like, I know a lot of people when they saw the tragedy of Macbeth who weren't super familiar with the play had trouble with like the language in it. And this is like very much because it's, they had to translate it to Japanese and Shakespeare is like very difficult to translate to other languages. They bas basically, when they make the language, like the language is like more easier to understand because it's not in like Shakespearean when you're reading the subtitles. So 
if you want like i guess a better entry point into the story it's a this is a good a good entry into it and yeah i think tashira mifune i will also be talking about him a lot tonight he is fantastic as uh don't know the character's name uh but he is great in it uh and the i like i like how they do how their take on like the uh instead of like the witches it's like one uh like almost specter like lady in the in the woods who's like super creepy and just how that how they do like the forest how that comes back in the end it's all very very well done and yeah one of my favorite adaptations of this play john yeah john sorry i was just uh plugging in my charger yeah uh uh, Throne of Blood for a lot of the same reasons that Dylan brought up. Um, I'm also partial to Macbeth. I spent a lot of time with Macbeth. Um, just throwing that out there, I mean, it's one of the better adaptations of Macbeth, maybe the best that I've seen, you know. Um, uh, beyond it just being, like, good Shakespeare, it's it's also just, like, one of, like, in my personal opinion, I think Throne of Blood is, like, one of Kurosawa's, like, unparalleled masterpieces, judging it purely just from, like, a compositional uh um like he mentioned the fog and 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 you know all of these just like brilliant compositions that really bring out sort of the the dread that's inherent to the to, to the to the Macbeth story um and just to avoid running too too long because I know that Kirk has a, a lot of uh, opinions about Throne of Blood I just want to shout out um Yamada uh Isuzu the, the the woman that plays Lady Macbeth she is insane in this movie like absolutely insane as Lady Macbeth. I love her so much. She's scary, and um, Kurosawa is is uh, one of his uh, various faults. I, I feel in in his filmmaking is that uh, sometimes he doesn't really uh, do his his female characters and his actresses justice. And I and I think this is one of the rare occasions uh, where um, you know his his portrayal, or I guess uh, Yamada's portrayal of of. Uh, of, of a female character actually like elevates the work and, rather than detract from it. So yeah, I'll do it there. And uh, Joseph, you had this at eight, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, the This movie might probably will be the most famous for the arrows scene, which not to give anything away, but once you see it, you'll know it when you see it, but it lives up to its life. It gets crazy. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but yes, I like uh, like the others mentioned already so far. I love how the dialogues still feel Shakespearean, despite any and probably a lot of translation difficulties that they probably might have had in feudal Japan. As I was listening to it, I was like, this feels very Shakespearean, and I like it. It just feels very intense. And as the story gets under my skin, it's really uh, dramatic. And I also liked... Lady Macbeth in this movie, she's really good. The witches, witches scene is very creepy as well. And Toshiro Mifune's mental downfall is really, really well done in this movie. General Washizu is apparently his uh, character's name, which I 100% looked up before. I am not <laughs> uh, Yeah, I had this at nine. Honestly, this probably would be higher in my personal estimation. I just knew that people would have it higher and I would have a chance to talk about it anyway. Um, for me, a lot of this is just about his audacity as a physical filmmaker, the things that he's willing to do. And maybe, you know, if things had gone south in a different way, maybe we'd see that differently. But I think, like, the way that they execute that scene, the fact that the sets are, like, designed on Mount Fuji, like, near the volcanic slopes, like, not long after it was literally erupting, is insane. 
Um, there's an interesting tidbit from Brian De Palma on the commentary of Carrie, where he talks about there's a certain death scene in Carrie that is really heavily inspired from a scene in this movie. And I think you can really see the parallels there in an interesting way. But for me, a lot of this is just so based and visual. A lot of what Dylan was talking about is it distills the Shakespeare stuff into just the actions. It's not really as much about the poetry and the words. And I think that it really highlights a lot of Shakespeare's like hidden strengths as just a simple storyteller creating conflict. I think that is inherently riveting even beyond just his prose. Um, and that's sort of what this highlights and this takes like those characters to their sort of like logical extremity. And I think that's like one of the big strengths is like, it is like so based and like, it's just like, it's just intense. You know, this is the kind of thing. And I, a lot of these movies, luckily because of like, having gone to film school, I've seen in a theater and this movie in a theater is like insane. Um, the scope is, is bonkers. And like they said, the music is like a different sort of level. Um, and yeah, Isuzu Yamada is, is amazing. He's a really special performance, I think. Yeah, well said about the Shakespeare and the poetry. That's, yeah, um, yeah, I got this. I actually got to see this um, art house theater near me was showing. Uh, did a Kurosawa festival. I got to see this on the big screen earlier this year. And you're right, Paul. It's amazing. Um, just, I mean, this movie is made uh, to be seen in that in that format. Uh, the the one of my favorite shots is the Burnham Wood shot where they're moving in with the trees and you see that whole forest moving. I think that's the best interpretation of that scene. You can't. Done. I mean, no offense. You can't really spoil Macbeth. So like, no, no, yeah, you can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. What am I gonna tell you? It's the tragedy of Macbeth. You know where it's headed. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that the Burnham Wood scene and just like you said, like the fog and just the way everything's composed. It's so great. Um, I just love how it has like, and the thing I love about Shakespeare in general is how adaptable he is how you could take his stories and place them in anywhere at any time and they still make sense and you get put in the hands of somebody like kurosawa it's just it's chocolate and peanut butter it's a perfect combination um but i just love like how it has like the kabuki influences like a lot of like the you know the japanese theater influences you see that come through so even though it is very much shakespeare those also very japanese um and you know mifune is just completely unhinged in this and his performance is so i mean i think he's crazier in here than he is in rashomon he is just so crazy and you see that um you know him, him going through that downfall is, is so well portrayed by him and yeah the actress who plays uh the lady with Beth character is is just so great as his foil um yeah this is my favorite this is my i, I love Macbeth too it's one of my favorite shakespeare plays this is probably uh one of my favorite this is probably my favorite shakespeare adaptation in general um, I love, you know, talking about tragedy Macbeth. One of the things I loved about that movie is how it kind of leaned into the horror elements, and this one does it as well. I mean, when he goes and sees the the, the witch or whatever that character is uh, in this movie, it, it's legitimately frightening, um, and so it has so many creepy elements like that. So yeah, this is definitely. I mean, I'm glad you have it on your list, but I think you'll have it way too low. This should, this for me, this is a, definitely a, a top three. But I'm not going to split hairs. Um, let's move on to Dylan's number six. I feel like this is probably going to get yikes. My number six is Ikiru. Uh, yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Right. So then my number five is Dersu Uzala. Um, I also have that at five. Yeah. All right. And you had it, Paul. Yeah. Joseph, do you have this one? I have not seen it. Okay. All right. So we will do uh, do this now. Go ahead. Uh, Dylan, kick us off with this one. Yeah. So this is, this is like the second one on my list of like that ones that's basically just about a friendship and mostly just vibes. Yeah. I, I love this movie a lot. This is the last one I saw before making this list. Uh, and I pushed off another movie, which we'll probably be talking about later. Uh, but yeah, I love the, the main character as, 
or not the main character, but the titular character is like the per- main performance from that guy is just like fantastic. Like he's just so endearing and like just such an interesting character. And like just the some of some of like I feel like some of his best uh, photography. I feel like Akira Kurosawa with like how this is all shot like on location in Russia and. I believe this is his only film that he did in another language, if I'm not mistaken, like entirely in another language in Russian, which is interesting. I love like the backstory of this movie where basically, correct me if I'm wrong on some some details here, where it's basically the film that he made after Dedeskaden, which was like a notorious at the time for being like a big like <laughs> failure as even though it's been sort of reevaluated recently, but uh and then he came back and made this movie and basically (laughs) he could have like again played it safe and made like another one of his like stuff that he's known for like a samurai film or something and he made he went out into like the middle of the wilderness in russia and made this movie and i think it's just fantastic and yeah i love the main relationship between the two main characters just a beautiful film and i will probably be coming back to this one a lot so could probably go higher with more rewatches, but it's just very fresh in my mind. All right, John, I think you said you had this at five as well? Yeah, I did. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of regret putting this at five because I actually like this movie like a lot, probably more than a lot of the canonical classics that I could sort of chickened out and put ahead of this. Um, I I think this is probably his, like, one of Kurosawa's, like, most underrated films. It's it's definitely, like, one of his masterpieces, uh, at least in my personal opinion. Uh, uh, like, one reason why I like it so much is is because it is so different. I mean, like, obviously it was it was a co-production with Moss Film, and so uh, it has that uh, sort of Moss Film look. It looks very unlike, like, it doesn't have that impressionistic, like, painterly look that a lot of Kurosawa's other films do. Uh, it has that very, like, I don't really know I, I, the only way I can really describe it is kind of like Moss film it has like very vibrant, very vibrant colors. And um, I just, yeah, I just love those Moss film technicians. It also feels like very differently. Kurosawa uh, edited a lot of his own films. He didn't edit this one. Uh, I can't re- remember the the person who did, um, but it gives this film a very different a different feel than a lot of uh, Kurosawa's other films that I've seen. It, where, where, whereas, um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of Kurosawa's films are very like, his his sense of editing, uh, his sense of timing makes a lot of them, his movies feel like very propulsive. Uh, this one feels a lot less. Um, it feels a lot less like it, it. It feels a little bit. What's the word for it? Maybe like subdued, hazier. It's a little bit more relaxed, and I and I quite like that a lot. Um, yeah, I guess you could call this a hangout film. That's not really the way that I read it. I I, I mostly just see it as like Max Munzuk's. Uh, Dersu Uzala's character, sort of, um, you know, a man of nature, like, sh- like, sh- slowly kind of losing his his relationship with that nature just because he's growing old, and you know, you see this, you 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 see this like diametrically opposed these diametrically opposed ideas of like going into civilization, uh, being pulled out of the wild. I mean, it's very basic, like you know, literature 101 stuff, you know, man versus nature, uh, whatever. I'm a sucker. I find that stuff really, really compelling. And um, yeah, I love that last shot. Just, I love the end. I love, like, one of my favorite shots in all of Kurosawa is just um, Dersu Uzala, just like kind of pushed off against, uh, like in his house, just kind of like crouching almost in like a near fetal position, like in front of, uh, in front of the fireplace, like at the very edge of frame. 
um just like he's he's just like he's in a prison and um you know i that's one of my favorite shots and yeah of course i was over i really love this movie uh, it's great i wish i had a chance to revisit it before this panel because i think it'd definitely be higher on my list oh her yeah. name is uh, valentina stepanova the, the yeah the editor. Her, first, her first ever editing job was crazy um yeah so i originally had this a little higher um just sort of made some tweaks to my list but for me i mean this is such an important movie for curse as a person not necessarily as a filmmaker i mean this comes on the heels that dylan had sort of mentioned it but Kurosawa like has a pretty famous attempted suicide um, event that happens post Dodeskaden because of the failure and the sort of reception of it. Um, and this is like such an autobiographical thing of an old man fighting against the modernization of, of the current climate. And I think like that feels so emotionally tied to Kurosawa's struggle with his own life and his own career. And I think like when you see Dersu Der Zalem move into Russia at that one point when he goes to the man's house, um, it's really painful to see that he just is in a world that he is passing him by and he feels like he has no grasp on it. The whole thing with the where he's hunting and he sort of his reflexes are, are not quite what they used to be. And I think the way that that shifts his life and that's like his whole relationship with his world, right, is the way that he survives on his own. And um, that struggle to find a place in a world that feels like it doesn't have a place for you, I think, is something that's really sad and moving. And I just think the relationship between those two men is so special from the way that they meet, which seems so inconsequential and to the times that they share as the years go on, I think it's like really moving to me. And I think it's one of those things where I think, yeah, you, you mentioned the sort of Moss film, like it does have that, like if Tarkovsky had different sort of interests as a person, like this is the kind of movie you could have seen him making, right? Like this sort of disparate out in the wild, it's a similar approach to the to the visual spectacle, but I think it's done from a much more humanist perspective, I think, which yeah. is something that Mossfilm doesn't really have too much of in their history. I don't know if people really know much about that, them as a studio or as a conglomerate, but um, this was a very different step for him. And Mifune was originally supposed to be in this movie, and it's weird to think of what the movie would be like because I don't know what that would even look like. Um, it's kind of fascinating to think about, but I, I'm, I'm really glad that we got the version we did because it's such an outlier, but that's kind of what makes it really unique and special. Yeah, this is one I hadn't watched uh, before. I watched for the first time this week. Uh, this and uh, Matadayo are the two that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and it, I, I need to go back and rewatch, I think, because there's so much here, at least on the surface, that doesn't feel like Kurosawa. You know, it's in color. And I know he did a lot of color movies, but for me, I, like in my heart, I always imagine Kurosawa movies black and white. And it's, you know, it's non-Japanese people speaking not Japanese, which is just so, just throws me for a loop. Um, but I do think uh, Dersu is a very, very much a uh, Kurosawa protagonist. I think he's kind of that, you know, that Kurosawa everyman, um, you know, going through the struggles that Paul mentioned. Um, so, and I, the relationship between those two is great. Uh, it, the, I didn't latch onto it because of that kind of lack of narrative once again. Um, but I think it was still paced very well. I think you have like the segments, um, even though it's a little, little bit of a longer movie. I think it's 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 separated in these different segments uh, that keep the the story moved along. And yeah, I think that that last third or whatever uh, when he goes back uh, to kind of civilization is probably the best part. Very heartbreaking, and you kind of just you know you you realize you know what he's destined for. Um, so again, this is what I want to revisit. Um, but no, everything you said about this guy, this one is pretty spot on. Uh, and uh, Joseph, you said you hadn't seen this one, right? Right. Correct. I do want to see it, but haven't yet. All right. 
Okay, Dylan, that takes us to your number four. Yeah, so my number four, this is like a personal favorite of mine. It might not be one of his objective best, but I love Kage Musha a lot. <laughs> uh, I have that at five as well. Oh, I have that a little bit lower at five. Okay. Did anybody else have it? No. All right, you guys go both get to talk about it now. Yeah, so I, I saw this movie for the first time last year, I believe, and this movie just like absolutely floored me. I, like, I love just how... Like this is again when when Kurosawa go, makes movies in color, like he fully takes advantage of every single color there is, and like there's some truly like breathtaking like shots in this, like just how like certain battle sequences are filmed, where it's like the characters are like silhouettes and the sky is like bright red, and it it almost looks like I doubt that he had any inspiration from this, but it also almost looks like panels from like a graphic novel, which is weird to say, but that's how like stylized it is and it's just like beautiful looking and i love the it's one of my favorite like main characters in a kurosawa movie like i love just the the story of this guy who's put into like a position of power after having like no power being like this very lowly like scoundrel basically with no one power all of a sudden is put in this position where he has to play someone who is very powerful and i think his story throughout the film is fantastic of where like it's like it says a lot about I feel like responsibility and just like when he I don't want to spoil spoil certain stuff, but I just I, I love this movie a lot. But yeah. And Tatsuya Nakadai is phenomenal, I think, in the role. Yes, Tatsuya Nakadai is an actor that the more movies I see with him, the more I really, really like him as an actor. I want to see more films with him. Uh his performance as this uh it's actually have a it's actually a double performance. He's not just playing one character; he's playing more than one, and it's very uh, fascinating to me to see that and how his character uh, goes to that sh uh, situation shift is a very fascinating. Uh, it's, it's a very it's very fascinating to me. I think that the plot, uh, if you've seen the movie Shadow from like 2018, 2019, it's a very uh, it has a similar plot line where. They yeah, the Zhang the Zhang Yimou movie you're talking about, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so, I saw that movie a few years ago, and I really liked it. When I saw that this is what this movie was doing, I was like, okay, I yes, I'm fully on board with it. The color and the scope and the battle scenes are very, very effective and very impactful. I think for this uh, anti-war film, also. I think it's a very good way to put it. It's a very anti-war film that is very. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get. In, I, I trying try, trying not to get too much into spoilers, but the last third of the movie weighs on me a lot, and I think that's a really te a real powerful testament to how Kurosawa and Nakadai showed how this how these events unfold and how the story moves with uh his character trying to handle all this responsibility that that he has and then there are some things that just don't go according to plan and it's it, it impressed me a lot that uh daydream like sequence so so colorful and really really great and majestic in a way as well yeah, the, the the way I connect to this movie the most is through Nakadai's performance. 
uh, just that dual role, like you said, Joseph. Uh, it just, it's almost like a Shakespearean type, like a Falstaff type character. Very subtly funny uh, in a movie that's not necessarily otherwise, like, kind of supposed to be funny. Um, but there's just, like, a natural humor to him uh, that just plays so well with everything else going on. Um, and I just love his interactions. And, you know, the, I think it's supposed to be the, the grandchild of the person he's, he's, he's impersonating, um, you know, kind of catches on to what's going on and just their relationship is really great um and yeah this is maybe some of kurosawa's best use of color uh those battle scenes in the sky and everything going on is just breathtaking this is what i'd really like to see on a big screen i think this would just be amazing to watch in a theater um and just with the sound too it'd probably be really 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 cool um so yeah and again this is one you know, I'm assuming we'll talk, you know, no spoilers, we'll probably talk about Rand later, but uh, one I think is kind of a companion piece to that. Uh, has a lot of the same themes, a lot of stuff going on, um, but still a great movie in its own right. Uh, John and Paul, you guys don't have this one. What are your thoughts on it? Go ahead, John. I haven't seen it. It's one of my big um, Kurosawa blind spots. Listen, I liked it better when it was called Dave and released with Kevin Klein in 1993. <laughs> um, no, I, I really like this movie. I mean, yeah, Tatsu Nakadai, like, maybe the greatest, if you take, like, his fifth, top 15 credits, maybe, like, the greatest filmography in the history of film of any actor, like, not even exaggerating, like, when, like, a, a woman ascend the stairs is, like, not even your most, like, one of your most major works. To me, that's, like, insane. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys talked about the, the sort of dream-like sequences, but that is, like, some of the great visual filmmaking of the entire 80s. And, like, this is from a movie that I think is like maybe not even in his dozen best movies, which to me is more of a testament to like, I think I was watching this movie and I was like, I think this is like his 13th best movie, but also that to me makes him the greatest <laughs> filmmaker to ever live. Cause this is like better than a lot of, I think a lot of filmmakers greatest works. Um, yeah. Just that central performance and the way that it positions him as a figure politically, but also the way that it changes him as a person being thrust into this role and what that means for him as the as the movie goes along i think is like um pretty pretty special stuff um it's not it's for some reason it's never connected with me on a deeper level than that but it's just it's an incredible movie i mean there's not really much else i can say about it but it's, it's really really impressive yeah definitely and speed of nagada i mean we'll probably talk about more of his movies later i'm sure that he's in you know coming up here but it's funny he's never really talked about as like you know in that group of kurosawa regulars um but i think it's because he did so much outside of that scope but, I think um, he is. I think real heads know. I mean, yeah. It's also crazy that this this is Kurosawa's Palm d'Or. Like that is just a bizarre yeah. thing to think about in terms of his relationship with the sort of filmmaking world. It's interesting. Yeah. That's how uh, I view kind of how uh, uh, Dersu Uzala with the first com with with the competitive yeah yeah best yeah. foreign language uh, film. Te yeah. I, I technically there uh, there's an earlier one that won an honorary foreign language film, but yeah, that's to me. Even though I haven't seen Dersu Uzala. That feels a little bit surprising to me that it took that. Well, I mean, it, it feels right, though. It's like the greats always get awarded either too late or not at all. Um, so, you know. All right. Uh, and, John, we're going to move on to you then uh, with your number seven. All right. Somebody please say yikes because I don't want to lead off. Uh, my, <laughs> number, my number uh, – hold on. I need to pull up my list again. Uh, my number six is Ikiru. So seven, That was right? my number six. Well, oh, your seven, seven was, was already thrown a blow. Yeah, thrown a blow. Yeah, yeah, my seven was thrown. So my six is Ikiru. Somebody uh, say yikes. 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 Okay. <laughs> Thank you. My five was Dersu Isla. And so my number four is uh, Yojimbo. Yikes. yikes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Easy enough. Joseph, uh, what's your seven? 
My seven was a yikes from earlier. The bad sleep well. Yeah, I had that earlier. And it ends here, I think. So, Joseph, you go ahead and talk about that one. Uh, another Shakespeare, loosely, though, this time. Another loose Shakespeare <coughs> adaptation from Kurosawa. And this movie has a very complex, centers around a very complicated revenge plot where Toshida Mifune's character is trying to un- avenge the death of his father under suspicious circumstances by trying to undermine the heads of the company that he works for. And uh, when I was about to watch this movie, or when I was, uh, before I watched this movie, there were, the two and a half hour runtime was a little daunting to me. And I don't blame if it's the same case for other people, but as soon as I started watching and then the movie starts going and then it shows the extent to which his character's going with his revenge plot, it just rolls, it just flows more and uh, gets me more riveted. For, it gets me more riveted as the movie went along. And and yeah, that works for me as well. Uh, this movie is, has a very strong commentary on how, corp, on, on corporate crimes in different companies and the, the manner of the, uh, the movie shows as it goes along the extent to which the various characters did some uneth- unethical actions, to say the least, in order to take over this company. And to me, that makes it, that it gets the stakes more serious as it goes along. And it made it more uh, fascinating to me. And I got, I, I couldn't wait to see more of what would happen next. Um, quick things that uh, without context, the cake rows and the subsequent reactions from that. When you see the whole context of it, that makes me, I think that was a very, uh, let's, let's just say it made me uh, fall in love with this movie more because I think that was a very clever way of showing how this uh, how Toshiro Mifune's character is trying to get back at the company heads. Um, and also, even though it's not fully a Hamlet adaptation, I still feel like with the way that the dialogues are written and how the actors deliver it, it still feels it still feels like it has that Shakespeare touch. And I really, really like that about that. And also, uh, not to give away uh, too much about what the ending, but... The ending is very, uh, it reminded me a lot of No Country for Old Men. And I meant that in a great way because I think that this movie, uh, with the message that it's trying to give, I think that it was very bold of it to do some things that happened later in the movie. And uh, yeah, this movie is long, but I would recommend it. I don't think it's a waste of time because the movie just flows really, really well when you see the extent of all of the the whole plot and the story. I really liked Toshiro Mifune. And the actress who plays his wife also is really great. And the the uh, the one of the one of the business administrators who reacts with the Cake Rose, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but I thought that I think that his face gives the best reactions as well. Yeah, so I had this at number nine. Yeah, I I 
like that uh, Joseph said that is loosely based on Hamlet because that's one of the things I was kind of disappointed when I saw it because it was kind of sold to me as like his ad his adaptation of Hamlet. And there are a lot of similarities. Like, yeah, you can obviously see the influence, but it, it, they're kind of thin. But it, I, I think the movie's still, like, fantastic. And, like, yeah, just echo a lot of what Joseph says. This is not, I mean, for me, this is not really, like, one that I have, like, two crazy, insightful opinions on. I think it's just a very well-crafted uh, thriller. And I think it nails the, the central themes of Hamlet very well of, like, just what... You're, you start out feeling bad for the guy for what he's been put through and then he just becomes like a complete monster by the end and it, yeah i think it's yeah it also handles a lot of like the themes of like post-war and stuff like very well so yeah uh yeah this one for me honestly this one's kind of at the bottom of the list for the for the filmography um just because there's it's so, it's such a talky movie um that opening scene honestly might be one of my least favorite Kurosawa scenes just because it is such an exposition dump. It's basically here is this character and they have this position at this company. They're just telling you who everybody is. And it, it really doesn't help any because you have no idea. You don't know at that point what any of it means or why it matters. So even after you watch that scene and they tell you all that, you're kind of still you know piecing things together uh, after that. I do like the idea of the cake scene being the the play with the play scene in Hamlet and how they played around with that and kind of put that at the beginning I thought that was interesting um, but then just from there you get you know a lot of the movie focuses on uh, like the criminal you know the, the 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 corporate crime and the blue collar crime and there's so much like talking about exactly what was done and so much detail that kind of gets a little stale for me uh, it picks up to me in the second half uh, when it becomes more about Mafune's character and his relationship with his wife and what he's doing and you see his plot kind of you know picking up steam uh the movie really starts getting for me going for me there but even at the end you know the big climatic incident you're 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 told you're not shown um so that the movie i i feel definitely feel the length of this movie you know a lot of his longer movies i would not say that even movies longer than this i i, I they kind of breeze by this one i really feel the length um so this isn't one i love um but i mean there's still some obviously good things about it uh paul and john you do not have this why not uh i think it was one of those things where i sort of expected other people to have the movie and so i figured i would get some sort of chance i'm honestly surprised it was it was on someone's list this high, this high though i do actually have a lot to say and i think that the hamlet stuff is interesting because to me some of the most interesting stuff of the movie is how the chain how there's are changes from hamlet right um and when you take um Kyoko Kagawa's character, which is like the Ophelia character, but sort of transferred over to me, the change from her sort of disability, quote unquote, being like her madness to being a physical disability is speaking a lot to the women in this society and how they can speak their mind and have thoughts and dreams and ideals, but they have no mobility to get there. And to me, it's all about how women in this corporate era of Japan um, having desires and dreams and aspirations, but um, a complete inability to access any of that any of the levels of, of the corporate ladder and um that change to me symbolifies like the way that this is set in the modern japanese context and that's one of the most interesting things about the movie to me ev the whole movie like the bad applies to everyone right because the people at the top are these greedy corporate guys who are looking out to get ahead and the people at the bottom are just trying to get revenge in any way possible they don't really care about what the ramifications are and to me it's about the poison in the well that comes from this sort of greedy corporate society and i think like 
you know, my own political beliefs, I think, color the way that I am able to empathize with some characters and not others in a movie like this. I don't think that I feel as bad for people who are getting screwed over by sort of underlings that have sort of been stepped on their entire lives. But um, to me, this is one of his most interesting films in terms in a modern context. I think this paired with something like High and Low really speaks to what the Japanese corporate world of the post-war era um, turned out like and how how he just feels like it, things could have been so different. To me, the thing this always reminds me of is Chinatown um, with the themes of corporations and, and with the cynic, like how cynical the entire thing feels. Um, that's the thing it always mirrored to me. And I think, honestly, this is one of his, his better works. And um, it's maybe not like a favorite, but I think it's like one of his better made films, one of his more interesting ones to talk and think about. So. John, have you seen it? I have seen it. Um, and um, I... I... I tried to rewatch this for this panel because um, the, the, one of the you know, I was originally going to put it kind of uh, lower because I, I just because I haven't seen it, but um, I, I rewatch bits and pieces and and I do agree with a lot of what Paul and um, uh, Joseph said about it. Um, I do I think it's probably one of his more searing like takedowns of contemporary Japanese society. One of his better like more acidic. Uh, it's not really acidic, but you know what I mean. Like one of his more quote acidic uh like gendai geki films and also um like i think it is one of his most interesting especially the way that like it, it, it sort of textually plays with hamlet but i think it's also like it's not my favorite of his from this sort of lens but i think it's one of his most interesting like also formally it's a little bit of a uh it's a little bit of a uh a, a platitude to you know to point out you know how you know the sort of the staging of this film uh and just um also to de to defend the marriage uh scene at the very beginning um uh, uh, one of my favorite opening scenes to a kurosawa film uh I i'm not gonna explain why but yeah um yeah i, I like this one too i wish i would have revisited it though because i'm sure now that i know a little bit more both about hamlet and japan and film um, i'm sure i have a slightly more sophisticated take all right, uh, Joseph, that takes us to your number six. Uh, my number six is Red Beard. All right. All so uh, this movie is about a selfish young doctor who's assigned to work with Toshiro Mifune's character, the title Red Beard, so that he can try to, so that he can get a special position that he wants. But uh, he has a different point of view in working with in the medical field than Redbeard does. Redbeard is a much more kind and charismatic doctor and at times but at times serious when he needs to be and the young doctor is kind of uh, is, is he's much more selfish and self-centered and uh, he feels very uh, annoyed that he has to work in this environment. But seeing his character arc and how he how he changes through his work with Redbeard and with the different people and uh, with the different people that he meets there th with different conditions or different accidents feels well. I really liked seeing how his how his his character arc unfold through the movie. Uh, the movie is again a very long movie. It's over three hours. But I think that most of it falls very, very well because there are so many very, really incredible uh, directed scenes that 
uh, really stand out to me. There's this, um, uh, again, not trying to get too much into spoilers, but the scene with the broken bowl astounds me with the amount of character that Redbeard has. And also the scene with the mantis, very, very tense and things that go like, oh, grab, oh, grab very quick and it sneaks up on you like that but i really really like that about it i think that this movie is also kind of um uh even though this movie i might describe as more uh uplifting in a way for kurosawa to make because of that central character arc that the main doctor goes through it's also kind of sad for me to see because this was the last collaboration that he did with Toshida Mifune and it was also his last black and white film. But I think that if, I think it's a very great way that at least they made one more really, really great movie together before uh, they stopped. Yeah, I really like this movie. I'm surprised no one else had it. Um, this is one of my favorite uh, Mufune characters, and again, just how he plays. This isn't really a samurai movie, although he does have like that one scene where he kind of kicks ass. But um, he he just he plays just. I think I don't think he's that old at this point. I think he's playing a lot older than he actually is, um, and he and he takes on that age. That that I mean, he's not like, even 50, he's not even fifty when this movie's shot. Yeah, like 40, 42 or something like that. Yeah, and he's um and he but he takes on that like elder statesman kind of like you know wise sage role. Um, only thing about this movie that I would, I don't want to say it's a complaint, but you know, the, the first half is kind of loaded with, uh, these vignettes about the different patients and, you know, their backstory and their, their ailments and what's going on with them. And they're not uninteresting, uh, but I'm so taken by Mufune character and the character of the, uh, the student and their relationship and their dynamic that anytime the focus isn't on them, I'm just waiting to get back to that story because I love that story so much. It's so great about this. Um, I kind of wish, and I know I think it's based on a book, and those stories are all in yep. the book. Uh, so I, I understand, and I understand thematically they belong there. Um, you know, with it's like a sh- collection of short stories, and I don't yeah. think it's like a novel, novel. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, it's uh, but I, that that's my only thing is, and, and again, this is the one where this, the, those kind of go away in the second half. And to me, that's where the movie really starts going because you're focused completely on the two of them. And um, yeah, there is that scene. Um, you know, Mufune plays that kind of gr- again that gruff exterior, and you know, leave me alone, don't bother me. Um, but there's a scene where he's caring for a patient who is completely rejecting his care, and just the the the, the gentleness and the patience he has with her is just such a great moment. Um, it just completely defines this character and defines this movie. Um, so no one else had it. Tell me why. I think I have a bit of a personal distaste for the movie because it led to the rift that caused them to separate, I think, their collaboration. And um, it also, like, prevented Mifune from, like, taking a lot of roles in this, like, three- or four-year period where he had to maintain and grow this beard and film this movie and everything. So, like, that's part of it. I will also say, um, with all due respect to the men, there is a reason Yuzo Kayama is not really an actor. He's mostly a musician. Um, if anybody's seen the movie Sword of Doom with Tatsuya Nakadai, he kind of like single-handedly almost ruins the movie for me. Um, and I don't think he's very good in this, which is, I think, why the movie doesn't really work. There's a real imbalance where the scenes where it's just Mifune really doing his thing like are so great. And then it's so heavily contrasted by this young doctor that I just don't have much of an interest in that character much at all. Um, the movie is still like solid and, like again, like this is better than 
lot of movies from a lot of directors, but to me, this is like nowhere near one of his, his great works, um, despite like the sort of towering Mifune performance. Um, it's just one that I think I'm always going to have a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth about because of the whole split. John or Dylan? Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually haven't seen it. I meant to watch it before this, but I haven't had the time. This is the one that Karsten Runquist likes better than Seven Samurai, right? I think, I think so. so. <laughs> Based. <I've>... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that name was uttered on this show. John, that's a curse. <laughs> that's a curse thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Joseph, that takes us to number five. Uh, my number five, we already talked about Kagemusha. Okay. Uh, John mentioned it, and it's time to mention this again. My four seven samurai. Yes. Okay. All right, Paul, it takes it over to you for your seven. I mean, number seven is Senjuro. All right. Um, I think that for a lot of people, I, I know that people certainly prefer Yojimbo to this because I think it's a lot sturdier, it's, and, we, and I'm sure we will talk about it later on the show. But to me, Sanjuro might be his most rewatchable and simply entertaining film. I think it's, for one thing, it's like 90 minutes and it's a real quick get in, get out, which is really nice. Like, I love his movies, but in a filmography where most things are, you know, 150 minutes or more, it's kind of nice to get one that's a real breeze. But to me, it's also really funny and moment to moment just has this kinetic momentum to it. Um, and it shows off a different sort of side of Mufune in, in his samurai sort of characterization. This is kind of like, I guess this is the last Kurosawa samurai he ever plays, which is interesting to think about. Um, but I love, I just love, there's that dual scene at one point in this that is such a classic, like has like been parodied almost by anime in the years to come, like for years and years, the whole like boom, like boom, flash of the sword. And all of a sudden the person is like dispatched. Um, but I think it's really clever and very simple constructions of both action and drama um, and his relationship to these men who he's helping fight back against this sort of larger structure um it's like you could call this 11 samurai sort of in a way but i guess he's too towering of a figure to pass up um but also love that story where he talks about how he got his name which is a different sort of story than in yojimbo i suppose but um and their whole plot with the flowers when, when across the water i think all that stuff is just really fun and entertaining and i think it's like there's something to that just to a movie that is like easy to just pop on kind of whenever and this is probably the curse movie i've seen the most times um, just because this is kind of like the stuff that me and my dad like to watch together. So, um, yeah, I think it's just really great and awesome and like a way better version of this kind of movie that I think a lot of other filmmakers make in this time period. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a breeze and I, I just can pop it on at any time. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said about it. Um, I, yeah, technically Jojimbo is the better film. Um, but I think this one is a lot more. I think I think this is personally probably Kurosawa's most accessible film, uh, just because yeah. it is it has like the the action. Um, it's very action oriented. Uh, it has a very straightforward plot. Where through Jimbo, you have the the different factions and you have the different subplots. Uh, so this was a lot more easy to follow. If I was, if someone asked me what you know where, where should I start, I'd start here, because uh, even though it's technically a, a sequel, there's no like chronology to it. You can watch it whatever order. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like you said, it's just, it just a really, this might be his most fun movie and his most like breezy, entertaining movie. And like you said, like most of his movies are a very hearty meal and it's nice to just get a little bit of a snack and it's a movie. I mean, it's a great snack, but that's basically, you know, compared to the rest of his filmography, what this movie is, um, and not, not to disparage it anyway, cause I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, your Jimbo is one of my favorite. And I love the character. Um, I think this, this is probably my favorite of all. I've said this, you know, a lot about him, but 
my one favorite character. I'm glad he, they brought it back. Um, and just his interaction, you know, putting him in a situation, um, you know, in, you know, Jimbo, everybody's pretty much everybody's a bad guy. Um, and, you know, they're all like on equal footing in that world. And this one, he's basically de- dealing with children and, you know, with innocence and him trying to, you know, get them prepared to deal with the kind of people he's dealing through Jimbo. So I just like that dichotomy. And by, by the way, James Cameron, eat your heart out. This is the greatest action sequel ever made. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody else had Sanjuro. Uh, what was everybody's thoughts on it? Uh, this movie was close to making my list. I had, I, there were some other movies that I wanted to watch prior to going on this show and this one fell through, but I do really like it. I agree that it's a very accessible movie to uh, introduce to others that want to go into Kurosawa. I like the very straightforwardness of it. And again, I think the action scenes are, are a lot of fun. And that last scene, if you're patient enough, it's rewarding. Uh, yeah, I, this was not, this did not come close to making my list, but I do think it's uh, very good. I mean, for me, I know this might sound weird considering I have movies that are like twice its length higher than this, but uh, I I feel like this one for me takes a little bit to get going. Like I'm not crazy about maybe like the first like act or so, but once it kicks in, yeah, I mean, the action's like fantastic. And yeah, that final scene, uh, not just like the, action moment that everyone remembers but and is the most iconic thing from this movie but like the t- conversation that he has uh with like the main uh people that he's like trying to protect throughout the movie uh, that conversation that he has before he departs is like fantastic so yeah George, you talk about this yeah. one yet oh am i dead I, we can hear you screen. yeah uh-oh we can we can hear you. We can hear, hear you. Fine. Yeah. Maybe he can't hear us. Who knows? Oh, seems as though. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. I I'll just talk. Um, You're good. Good. Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I. I mean. Keep going. I didn't keep going. really. Like I didn't really pinpoint where. I wouldn't really pinpoint where in my ranking it would be, but uh, Yojimbo is my number four. Let's just say Sanjuro is there in spirit. I, I'll, I'll echo the sentiments from everybody else. I, I like it for all the same reasons because it's short. It's it's action-packed. It has that fun finale. And uh, also, yeah, it's very funny. Like maybe his funniest movie? I don't know. I, I love all those little ball-headed little samurai boys just like popping out from <laughs> under the floorboards. It's funny. All right. All right. Um, so that was Paul's. Uh, seven. Seven, what's seven. Your <laughs> my number six. My number six is Seven Samurai. I'm sure that's it. Yikes! Yikes! Uh, yeah. My number five is Ram. Yikes. Yikes! And my number four is Yojimbo. So there you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. In the top three, uh, Dylan, what is your three? Well, I think I just yikes all of them, but my number three is Yojimbo. <laughs> that's also my three. All right, I think everybody else said it already, so we'll talk about it now. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, my top three are, like, all gimmies, but uh, Yojimbo, I think, is fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I like how, you know, Kurosawa's mostly, like, a very, like, optimistic filmmaker, and this film, I feel like, is, like, an interesting outlier where it is, to borrow a phrase that uh, John said earlier, I think it's, like, one of his more acidic films where it's, like, basically him, like, 
the character of Sanjiro coming in uh, out of nowhere and he's like into this uh, one town and like manipulating these two rival factions is like very like entertaining to watch and how I guess almost nihilistic it is but it's like just such great action scenes just great like character moments it was one of my first introductions to Kurosawa like and it was it couldn't have been like a better introduction I feel like for his work but yeah I love this film a lot yeah similar to how I watched uh the hidden fortress trying to see all the connections with Star Wars uh seeing this movie made me appreciate more and more how uh well uh, in a way because technically Sergio Leone totally stole this movie for a fistful of dollars but anyway it was still seeing how it all came together for this movie how it would later be used for a fistful of dollars i think the cinematography can be really stark and also i that that shot where uh tatsuya nakadai's character again tatsuya nakadai in this movie is really great as one of the big bad guys in this in, in this that scene where he's like just have where he just has this evil smile and then there's there's a building on fire behind him that just gets me really that gives me chills when I whenever I see it and that that whole plot where Sanjuro is trying to get the uh, get the two gangs to turn against each other the stakes as the movie goes on the stakes just feel that they get higher and they get more serious and how they all escalate in the last 15 15 to 20 minutes or so is very intense but also very satisfying when we get to the end it's a lot of it's a lot of great things that i had heard about kurosawa and before i got into these movies and it's still one of my favorite ones all right john and paul you both had this at four so if you're with us john why don't you go ahead first Okay, it looks like he's not. So, Paul, why don't you go ahead? Uh, hopefully, John will be back. Um, yeah, well, hopefully it's not like the Beatles where John's disappeared and Paul left <laughs> alone. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, the first one I ever saw as a kid, um, which I probably shouldn't have been watching this as a kid, but that's sort of a thing for another time. Um, to me, this is like his greatest accomplishment in terms of tone control. Um, the way that the movie flips back and forth from being deathly serious to being incredibly funny. The whole gag where the guy is like counting the amount of coffins that on each side and he looks like looking at his hand at the two and the four is just like hilarious. Um, and just this character, I think, like creates the ultimate archetype for, you know, movie action heroine, you know, heroes for the next, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, and I think you see all the hallmarks in small, but like simple actions and movements that he does um when he walks in to the to the man at the restaurant and the when he's getting sort of the lay of the land how little he's talking and how much of it is him looking around um visually and how much of that um is just this him is this one figure anytime he's in the frame everything else just seems so insignificant um even when they're the men of the same height the stature is just very different i think um and you can see how he moves so much, so much more fluidly than everyone else. And that it's just like, he is clearly a cut above these random men. Um, and obviously they find that out firsthand, you know, they sort of clown on him at first and they sort of, you know, they, as the kids say, they fuck around and they end up finding out uh, near the end of the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's just the ultimate, like sort of, you know, 
lone man in this town. And I love the way that he plays the two sides against each other. I think that's just intermittently like just hilarious. And yeah, this is a movie I can watch over and over and over again. And it's just a character I find just, I feel like cool is sort of an overused term, but this movie is fucking cool. And like, it's just, it's just awesome. And it's like, it's a stu- stupid and unintelligent thing to say, but like this movie just has that it factor of just feeling like, yeah, like this is just sick. Yeah, that's about it. You here, John? I think so. I'm yeah, not, you're good. I'm Go not, ahead. You're okay, good. yeah. Um, I I like Yojimbo. Obviously, it's my number four. Um, I don't know if I like it more than Dare to Whistle, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> um, Yojimbo is 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 the one one of the Kurosawa movies where it's just like. I like it so much because it's just so sort of satisfying to watch everything kind of come together, just sort of like the machinations of the plot. Um, you know, like like they alluded to, the, like putting these two gangs against each other, uh, watching how that unfolds originally, and then watching like that famous climactic uh, battle at the end. Um, and like Sanjuro is like very, very funny. Uh, and I feel like Yojimbo... It, it is is just about as funny as Sanjuro, um, you know. With the has like all those little fun moments, like the dog kind of running with the, the the arm in his hand, or whatever. Um, just for the sake of saying something slightly different from everybody else, because I'll echo all of those sentiments. I uh, I like Yojimbo for all the same reasons. Um, I I I guess it's not that much different. Yeah, I, I love like Oshiro Mifune's like performance specifically here i feel like it is different from a lot of his others not just because like it, it, he does have that it factor he's so cool but just like there's something gesturally like just different that he does in in this one um and i don't really know how to articulate it but like it, it's just so different maybe paul you can help me out here um there, there's just i feel like there's something very unique about his performance and it's it's not something i'm currently in like a mental state to try and articulate but yeah i mean I, I, maybe this is not the case for you for me a lot of it is how little wasted movement he has like his hands are just resting inside of his coat the entire time and he doesn't even feel the need to brandish them unless it's absolutely necessary and to me it's like that he knows he like it feels like he calculates exactly how many steps he needs to take to get from this yeah. place to the other place and there's no wasted movement it's all simple and sh- like so streamlined and straightforward yeah. that he's like mastered everything physically about himself as a person and also, I forgot to mention the score. Yeah, and, the score is and that, amazing. Sorry. No, yeah, it's yeah. I think you're right. I mean, it's just just the I mean, just like the shoulder <laughs> roll and the scratching, and just how the character is constantly agitated. That's what I love about it. Like he's just constantly mad. Um, I put it that you know in the top of the intro here. You know, you see the, the scene where he gets to that. You know, he pulls a sword. He's and you know he spins around before he knew he's, he's slashed five people, cut the one dude's arm off, and then in one fluid movement, he just puts his sword away. And he just walks away like angry that he made them, like he had to waste his time doing that. Um, I just love, and um, this is my favorite Kurosawa movie, and it's because of this character, you know, centrally. Um, I wonder why you would identify with this character, Kurt. It sounds so <laughs> unlike you. But um, I just, I mean, I've, I've made like probably half a dozen D and D characters based, like just ripping off this character and play, get, take the opportunity to play, play as, as, as Mifune and Yujimba because it's so much fun. Um, and yeah, the, the story's great, but just him, like the way he's, he, it's almost like you get the sense he's doing this because he, uh, he's bored. You know, that scene where he, you know, when he, he set him off against each other and he uh, climbs to the top of the, to the bell tower just to watch. 
and he just got that smile on his face like he's he's really gonna enjoy this um and just how like you said paul like he just one step ahead of everybody just you know you walk in and everybody's so terrified of everybody in this town and then you instantly realize how head and shoulders he is above he's he's 10 steps ahead of everybody at all times um and it's it's so effortless like it's he's not even really trying he just, that's just who he is um and yeah, uh, what's his name is the villainous. So I just love how like the big thing in this movie is a pistol. Tatsuya like, Nakadai. Yeah, Nakadai. When, when he when he like that that scene where he just like pulls off the gun and gets that smile on his face, and like that's the whole thing is like the, the big the big bad in the movies is like oh he's got a, a pistol so we got to watch out for that. Um, that's just such a cool little you know conceit. Um, but yeah, this movie again is so much fun. Um, this is probably the one I've watched the most. Um, just again because I am riveted as i love mifune and pretty much everything he does um but this one just takes the cake i'm riveted every second he's on screen for this movie um and yeah like you said paul the score is great um the standoff again i have that in the intro too um just a great great moment um just with the wind blowing it's just been you know done to death everywhere else um but it's so good it's so good i love this movie um so that was dylan's number three let's move on to john's three He is here, <laughs> which is <laughs> up for debate. All right. Well, I could tell you that his number three is going to get yikesed. So we can move on to Joseph's number four or number three. Number three was Yojimbo. Yojimbo. Okay. okay so, Paul, that takes us to your number three. My number three is Yikes and Riller. I think a movie that I at least have the panel, I assume, will not have. Uh, my number three is Stray Dog. I had that earlier. Uh, for me, I think part of the reason I love this is because it is like the creation of so many movies that I love that have come after it. It is like essentially like the inception of the buddy cop movie in a way. Um, and a lot of it is a pretty simple conceit, right? It's a policeman. He loses his gun. He's worried about what is happening with the gun and he follows after it. But to me, what transpires um, is just like this descent into this underground world that this young cop doesn't really have a firm grasp on um, where people are meeting, the way that people are moving. I think there's the little touches that make this really special. Um, one thing is I love movies where everyone is sweating their absolute ass off at every single frame. This is so similar to something like Do the Right Thing or something like Key Largo um, or like Body Heat where like every frame these like characters just like, they want to pass out like they need something to drink at all times and the city just feels hot also i love the simple things like they're they have a book of all of the pickpockets and they all have their own style there's literally a guy known as like the train pickpocket which is hilarious um but a lot of it's that that relationship between between shimura and mifune and the young and old cop and the ways that his his sort of family life has resigned him to one ideology in the way that the young cop cop thinks something totally different and how they play off each other's strengths and, and evolve from there. Um, Memories of Murder, I think, is a movie that's really indebted to this. The relationship between those two men, um, the way that it changes as the case progresses, the way that one opens up the other to a certain line of thinking and how it sort of reverses as well. Um, but just those interactions with him and all these people he's interviewing and how he's trying to discover you know, what is happening and that guilt that he has of what's being done with this weapon and the idea that he blames himself despite obviously he's not committing the crimes or anything. Um, that stuff is always fascinating to me. And also, like, as a big baseball fan, it's exciting to see a baseball scene in a Kurosawa movie where they're just at the stadium um, and there's this whole hijinks. Um, but to me, it, I mean, again, like, I just love detective movies and, and mysteries and this sort of crime, 
untangling crime epic that sort of spans time and, and space and has people sort of like descending into the underbelly of whatever city they live in. And I think it's got all of those hallmarks so effectively. And it's like, this is Kurosawa post-war reckoning, finally, I think, with the Western influence on Japan. Um, fun little tidbit for Kirk, who I know just watched the Godzilla movies, but Ishiro Honda, the director of all the Godzilla movies, is like the assistant director on this movie. And I think he, they said he had a lot to do with a lot of the tactile hand stuff where they're in this middle of the city where he just took a camera, hit it inside of a box and walked around with Ishiro Mifune and filmed stuff, which is why everything, that stuff feels so different to the rest of the movie because it's like, it's really like boots on the ground. This is what like Japan was really like in this time period. And like that snapshot is, is fascinating to me um, amongst, you know, a litany of other reasons. But to me like that, the movie's really, really special. And, um, you know, part of it's because it's so in my wheelhouse, but I think it's just a really, it's a, it's a testament to like how this is sort of his first, in my mind is, I know Drunken Angels like, is a great movie, but his first almost major work in his career. And it sort of elevates him from one level to the next. And uh, Joseph, this was your number nine. nine. Yeah, this was my nine. Yes. Uh, speaking of stray dogs and sweaty stray dogs, I'd like to add Dog Day Afternoon to the sweatiness. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Exactly. Where they're sweating a lot. Yes. Uh, the uh, okay. So for me, this is just a thing for me. Um, a lot of Kurosawa films released before Seven Samurai. For me, I have uh, a bit of a problem trying to get into them there's just something about the pacing that gets me a little bit for some reason but i think this movie has the best job at not only having a better pacing but also having a more investing story i think there's the very like paul mentioned about how it's kind of like the invention almost of the buddy dynamic i'd love the dynamic between Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura. And also I really like how Toshiro Mifune's characters, if if I had to pick one that's the most different from all of his performances in Kurosawa's films, I think this might be my pick because he's not unhinged yet. He's not a like he's not this self-assured badass like the like in the Sanjiro films. He's a very understatedly vulnerable policeman who's trying to get back his gun. And there are some parts also that make me uh, smile in this because there's just th things that, to me, make it seem like Kurosawa just uh, just spends some frames focusing on small things that I feel like have some sort of meaning to the movie. There's this one scene where uh, where Mifuna and Shimoda are are trying to get to the are trying to solve the case, trying to find his gun back, trying to get his gun back. And they go to Shimura's family and he just finds, uh, Kurosawa just focuses some frames on a shot of a toy horse, just uh, on, on a, a toy horse on a table. I don't know. I feel like maybe this is just me overthinking things, but I thought that was a good symbolism to show that so the two detectives are kind of stuck in their case and they're trying to, find out how to get unstuck and i don't know that that made me uh that made me like it more than other earlier kurosawa films i think this might be my favorite earlier kurosawa film yeah i'll echo that last part i think this is the i mean even though this is their first this is the first of uh, working with second Finn, right technically drunken angel drunken angel yeah. okay all right okay yeah this one though is i just love i think this shows the 
range that Kurosawa has, and that the you know that um, Mifune and uh, Shimura have, they are just so they can do anything. I mean, this I love that this movie, at least at the beginning, is such so small stakes. It's just basically like almost like just a, a bit, just a dumb screw up that, that he makes. And his motivation, you know, for the first you know third of the movie, maybe is just nothing more than embarrassment. You know, he feels dumb for having, having lost his gun, and he wants to get it back just to um, make up for that. But you know, obviously, it evolves from there. Um, but like you said, uh, Joseph, just that buddy cop dynamic between the two of them, and this may be my favorite team up with Mifune and, and uh, Shimura. I just love their, and I think it's because the ages they are here, because uh, Mifune is so young and he's playing so young, and um, you know. Shimmer just is that that older cop who like just like and again it sets that template. I don't know if it had ever been done before, but it feels like this is you know the beginning of that template where you know he's hot headed and just wants to move. Let's 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 get it. Let's get it, let's get it. And Shimmer's like just calm down. Let's go to the baseball game and check things. That's out. also like their dynamic as movies like as actors. Like Shimura yeah. is this sort of like demure, calm, chill, or relaxed, and Mifune is more intense and go get him. And I think it's That's kind of funny story. that like like buddy cop movies in the future did the same thing where it's just playing on the persona of the actors, which is like yeah, crazy yeah, to see in its early form. Yeah. Um, but like you said, like that baseball scene is great. Just little things like that. Um, and it just, and again, how it evolves from there and the story gets more tense and it, it the stakes get higher. Um, but it maintains that same like energy throughout. Um, so I, yeah, I, I love this one again. It's not, it's not a movie. When you think about Kurosawa, you don't think about like a buddy cop, uh, drama, but, uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, when I first heard about Kurosawa, I didn't know about this movie until like years after I had heard things about mm -hmm. Kurosawa. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, uh, Dylan and John did not have this. Uh, what are your thoughts on Stray Dog? I'll just pipe in real. Okay, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just pipe in to say that I haven't seen it yet. So, okay, no comment. Uh, yeah, I enjoy this movie a lot. This is, I think, yeah, probably his first like capital G great film. Like, I th I don't think. Like, I think his uh, 1940s run is a, a very spotty. Like, I think it took him until, like, the 50s before his uh, his he started, like, basically batting a 1,000 for me. Like, after, everything after 1950 I at least really enjoyed, uh, from what I've seen at least. But, yeah, I think upon re-watching re it uh, recently, I feel like, uh, this one would make an interesting uh, double feature. I've never tried this before, but I think it would make an interesting double feature with Bicycle Thieves, Thieves considering like the kind of similar story of like people losing an item that they need for their work, and it's like post-war themes, even though from two different cultural perspectives. Uh, yeah, I think it's very fantastic. I, I love the I love how like we mentioned it a lot, but how a lot of the conflict is just in, internal, like the main when he's initially revealing to his boss that he like lost the gun, you think it's going to be like this big moment where he gets like chewed out or something. And the guy's just like, okay, well go find the guy, basically get it, get it back. And is like a lot of, it's just like, he wants to do the, the job right. And he feels guilty about it. And it, which I think is like a really, really interesting take on that story. But yeah, I love it a lot. Hey Dylan, a uh, quick question. Which would you watch first straight dog or the ultra depressing bicycle thieves? <laughs> I like Bicycle Thieves a lot, so I'd probably go Bicycle Thieves. <laughs> I I am amused at the idea, and I don't know if somebody brought this up while I was gone, that, like, you know, such dramatic stakes could be made just stuff. Like, just such dramatic stakes could happen just because of, like, a missing gun, just given, like, everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... yeah, that's what I love about just how it kind of just spreads out from its one little dumb thing to, you know, just, just what it is at the end. Um, okay, that is the number three. So, Dylan, your number two. 
Yep. So my number two is Ron. Yikes. Okay. John, you're number two. Oh, John, you didn't get to say your three, but Kirk did say it was yikes. We don't yeah. know what it. it yeah, his number, what his, it his uh, John's number three was Ron. Yeah, okay. sorry. Yeah, yeah, John, yeah. What's your number two, John? Number two. My number two then. High and low. Uh, that's uh, so. yikes. Okay, that is okay. also yeah. my two. All right, and Paul shakes that. Uh, and then Paul, what is your number two? Uh, my number two is Akira. That was my and five. Think, did everybody have this? That was my. No, I did not. You, you didn't have it. Okay. All right. No. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I think um, this is what would happen if Frank Capra was a good filmmaker. Um, just kidding, kind <laughs> of. Um, but to me, what did he this say? Is <laughs> this is a movie I can't watch very often um, at this point in my life because honestly, it's kind of difficult for me on a personal level. Like, um, my dad doesn't have cancer, but my dad is like an old Japanese man who is at the point in his life where he is like reflecting on all the things that has, has come before. And I think like it's kind of a heavy burden, sort of when it's thrust upon you in this specific way. But um, I love the way that Kurosawa reckons with this man's life. And it's the sort of thing where it's like, you know, when you're at that age, you don't necessarily, especially working this kind of job, right? But you're just a regular bureaucrat. Unless you're confronted with this sort of thing, you don't necessarily think about what has my life amounted to? Have I done anything of substance, right? And I think I love that this one event, which obviously is a very sad and tragic thing, allows him to look inward and outward to what the things he's put out into the world, the way that he's you know, his relationship to his family and how that has changed in in mostly negative ways over time um, and how it's symbolized by this park, right? And um, that just the scene of him singing, sitting on the park bench is like, to me, like some of the hardest I've sobbed in a movie ever, really, especially the first time I watched it. Um, I don't think I was really fully emotionally prepared for what that kind of thing would do. Um, but it's just such a towering performance and i think it's like you know it gets a little repetitive to just be like this actor was amazing in this movie because like his actors for the most part are amazing in all the movies but um to me this is probably like the performance of any kurosawa movie that takashi shimura turns in here um his just like his the way his lip quivers i think sometimes when he's sitting and reflecting on his life and um when he overhears men talking about him or or sees people his impact on other people right his relationship to this kind of younger woman um it's just it's just hard it's just it touches on an emotional and humanist humanistic level i think that is some of the stuff that kurosawa is best at um i sort of regret not putting on one wonderful sunday to my list but a lot that hits a lot of the themes i think that this really hits too in terms of um what is appreciation versus what is a desire to have made more of an impact on the world and to have more mobility but my God, like this is just, it's very, it's just so emotionally dense that it's a difficult film, I think, to process at times, but um, it's just an astounding achievement to me of, of humanism. And it's like the peak of this kind of, this is like the best version of this kind of movie, which can get sentimental very quickly. And like, I can be pretty cynical about stuff that's made in this sort of tone and with this sort of like emotional approach. But I think like when you execute it to this level, when, the stakes are simple and personal and direct. Um, it, it it just melts me into a puddle. And I think it's one of those movies that um, will stick with me for a long time. And I, I, again, I can't really watch it very often, but when I do, it's like a whole sort of event, I think. To me. 
All right, and John and Dylan, I think you both had this at six. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, yeah, so this one took me a while to get to uh, because of just, like, the subject matter. It's, like, I'm, I'm in terms of cancer dramas, it's not something I really get all that excited to watch. I kind of need to be in the right mood to watch it. But uh, for this one, I think it just it, – I'm really glad I did eventually get to it because it actually – for as bleak as like I guess the story and subject matter is, it like actually like filled me with a lot of hope. I, I feel like, and I think that is just a testament to the filmmaking of Kurosawa. I feel like he's he does like to go at Paul off of what Paul said about like his the sentimentality of it. I feel like he does like sentimentality in his movies like in a way that not many other directors, if any other directors at all, really have a handle on. Like he just knows how to make it like very, feel very authentic and not like fake or cheesy in any way. Uh, no comment on the Frank Capra thing though. Uh, I like Frank Capra, but <laughs> yeah, I, so yeah, I, like I, Asian, I, love, I do too. Yeah. I love this movie a lot. Uh, this could probably go higher uh, in the future, but it, it's one that I, again, didn't see till very recently. Yeah. Um, uh, this one's lower. I think, I'm underrating this on my list, partially because I haven't seen it recently, and also because I tried to rewatch it for this panel, and I just I couldn't because, um, like I, I what my parents, you know, I, I, you know, I'm getting older. I'm watching people that I love get older, and my my parents, you know, uh, right at the beginning of COVID, you know, uh, it, it, like had cancer, and I I got kind of got to see that kind of transformation happen, and it is just like really hard to revisit. But yeah, I mean. When I saw it for the first time, um, I liked it um, for most of the same reasons you guys have said. I mean, it's just like so raw and emotionally honest. And um, yeah, whatever. Reading about like, you know, Japan trying to dig itself out of its blah, 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 blah. blah. Who gives a shit? Um, yeah. It's, I, I also like Frank Capra, but you're right, Paul. Like, 75% of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, last I time. I, funny- I Go ahead. Good. No, I'm, go, John. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, it's funny because last time I watched this, I did make that Capra connection. Like, oh, this is like Kurosawa's Capra movie. I'm not as sentimental, but and I like Capra too. I'm not. You know, so that's that's a bonus for me. Um, but yeah, I think this is uh, definitely Shimura's best performance. Uh, he's not asked to carry a lot of these movies. You know, the, you know, for him to be the central focus on this, I mean, he's in almost every scene. Um, no, I take that back because like the last third, he's dead. <laughs> but the, begin- the beginning of it, the, the, the first probably two thirds. Oh, yeah, Jeez. but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, um, he uh, it's it's. I think he gives you his performance. He gives you so much more than sadness and grief to deal with um, because of how much you know, just how quiet he is through everything you know the way he finds out he's sick and the way he um you know the way he deals with his kids his son and you know the way he's treated the way how he just kind of accepts it so you don't just feel uh sadness you feel anger you feel frustration you feel he kind of puts you in the shoes of someone in that situation and um i think he does so much that just with his his his, you know his expressions of his face is you know the way you know like he's got that hound dog look and then like you about like just the way his mouth moves you know like he's oh you're just waiting okay is he gonna stand up for his he's gonna say something now and you just wait for it to happen um 
So I do think that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's just a great performance. This is probably top five for me. Uh, and again, it, again, it is such a different movie, um, but it is just so heartfelt and so real and so visceral. Um, and yeah, those the, the, the two scenes of him singing um, are just devastating uh, for different reasons. But uh, it's just, yeah, this is this is fantastic. Uh, Joseph, you're the only one not to have it. Uh, state your case. Yeah, uh, this is probably just a me thing and my expectations going into this. But when I was watching it and when I learned about it, I guess I was expecting too much of a Capra-like Kurosawa film. And I think that there are... Uh, I don't I don't disagree with what you guys were saying. I know, Paul, I know. But, like, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying about Shimura's performance. I think that his that scene in the bar where he's crying that scene is really great the the swing scene is really great there's it's just me not really getting what i was expecting and uh i don't disagree that there's a lot of hope in it and then the ending happens not to spoil what happens but the ending uh it uh this movie, this movie carries out its message in a way that I did not expect it in a much more challenging way that I was expecting. Maybe a rewatch will do it, but uh, I already mentioned that there's there's just a thing for me in trying to watch pre Seven Samurai Kurosawa where the pacing just feels a little bit uh, stilted more, and this movie feels so long. To me, I know there, there's a lot of go, there's a lot going on, and I agree that there's a lot of stuff going on. But the scenes where uh, the scenes where he's trying to find things to to do for himself before he does the before he tries to help out the the the, the women and, and the and the playground made me feel like it made me feel more impatient about what next to go. What what what's about what's coming up next? It, it's just a me thing. I, uh, yeah, it's it's one of it's probably my hottest hardest Kurosawa take that I don't love this movie. I didn't love this movie as much as everybody else did, but I I'm sure that if I rewatch it, there's a lot more that I would get out of it because now I see the whole picture. And but yeah, that's 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 why I don't have it. I wonder if that will play differently for you when you're not under the age of 30 years old is all that I'll say. I wonder if that would be different. It's possible. All right. Uh, that brings us to our number ones. And if you've uh, been paying attention, not going to be a lot of surprises here. Uh, but Dylan, what is your number one? Pretty safe pick, but my number one is Seven Samurai. All right. Uh, I'm a hot takes that? over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's also your number one, right, John? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. So, uh, and I think everybody had this. So go ahead, Dylan. You can start us off. Yeah. I mean, this was, so this was my very, very first uh, Kurosawa film uh, and also the first Criterion Blu-ray I ever bought. And I remember when the day when I first watched it, it was like, I had like maybe three hours and 45 minutes before I had to go to work. And I was like, you know, I'll see if I could get through part of it. And because I like to have a little bit of time to do some stuff before uh, I go to work, but then I ended up watching the whole thing because I was just completely enraptured in it. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Like, this movie is just, it moves, like, 
that's it never drags for me at any point in this film even though it's like three and a half hours long like i feel like it's just an absolute breeze and just watching like again this is one i feel like is also maybe i have too broad of a definition of hangout movie but i feel like the mo most of this movie before the actual battle is like kind of like a hangout movie between the characters and like assembling the group I think it's like getting the crew together more than yeah. hangout yeah i guess but anyways uh i i enjoy that aspect of it a lot i mean uh toshira mifune obviously is kikuchio's that's his name right perhaps pronounced it wrong but yeah, okay. I think he is fantastic and like he brings such a different like element to the group where everyone else is like the more proper put together like samurai and he just comes in like completely drunk. You can tell he's there mainly for himself, but uh and just the final battle that it all leads up to is just like amazing. Like it's a phenomenal action just in the final climax of the film and just spectacular shots. Like, yeah, this is I think it's the peak of his directing, I feel like, and it's it'll forever be like just one of my favorite movies in general. John, this is also your number one. Is he frozen again? All right, we'll come back to him. I think uh, who had this next? Joseph, I think had Joseph. This was this is your four. Joseph is muted. You're muted. Iconic. Yes. <laughs> I turned into Cody for a moment. Uh, this movie is three and a half hours long, but it goes by super, super steady. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yes, this movie, uh, it also was my first one. And this movie feels, uh, even though there, there are other Kurosawa movies that I might like more, I feel like this movie is the most fleshed out of all of all the movies that I've seen, anyway, because this the whole procedures of them uh, of getting the seven samurai together, but also making the villagers actual characters instead of just um, uh, brief roles. They do get a lot of uh, screen time, and they also get a lot of. I, I like the sense of community that they have, and all the the whole progress of them trying to plan out their. The way that they're going to protect their village from these oncoming uh from from the thieves and the movie i think for for it to be this long but still have enough place for development and have it be exciting and also having this not feel like there's wasted time sure it's long but there's not really much that i would take out of it because it all fits together in in the end it's it lives up to the hype that I would I would definitely say is that um, I I understand that if people would would be a little bit cautious about going into it. This was the first Kurosawa film that I got that, that I watched, but uh, I can understand if it's a little daunting because three and a half hours, yeah. But it doesn't feel like that. I would it, I I can't recommend it enough. Uh, do we want to bring John back in because he's I think here now and it was number one. All right. Um, so deserves to talk about. Hey, yeah, good. I, good. You're sorry good, again good. about the connectivity issues. No and, all right. Um, can I just say before I give the most basic bitch take ever um, <laughs> that it's kind of refreshing that none of us had Rashomon on our list. I think that's cool. 
Anyway, I um, was relieved to see no that I wasn't the only one. Well, no, that's just how you remember it. That's not how I remember it, John. I think <laughs> I think Dylan had it on his list. You know, good, good one. I thought I was gonna be the only one. Oh my gosh, uh, that was a big surprise, Brad. I expected to see it somewhere. Uh, no, I'm anyway. Um, yeah, um, I think uh, this was my very this is my entry point into um, into Kurosawa and also largely just into kind of like art film and like foreign film, I guess. Um, you know, an impressionable like f- freshman in high school, just going to the library trying to explore the the DVD section there. Um, I think I, I revisited Seven Samurai. This is the only one that I managed to actually rewatch. I think, yeah. Um, I think there are movies that uh, in Kurosawa's filmography that are probably more interesting textually, um, maybe even more impressive formally. But I still think it's impossible to overstate like this movie's greatness. Sorry, I think it's I think it's a perfect film. Um, uh, a lot of that just does a lot of it has to do with like just it's just like such a rousing action film, just the way that it's put together. Um, I, I don't want to belabor like all of you know Kurosawa's sort of like oh tourist aesthetics, but it's all pretty much like um, and it's yeah it's all on display here, and it's probably as good as he gets minus maybe one or two other movies that I can think of. Um, yeah, the whole Bushido thing, uh, like, you know, sort of coming to grips through the, of like the decline of Bushido in the samurai way, that doesn't really do much for me anymore. But I, I guess it's still interesting to watch, like, you know, these heroic swordsmen, like, you die like pigs, getting shot, stuff like that. Like, that's something I forgot about this movie, um, re- revisiting it, is just how fucking bleak it is. Like, it is, it is dark. Uh, I wish I had more smart things to say about it, but... Yeah, I, I, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's a personally, it's very important to me. I think it's, uh, probably just the best action movie ever. Yeah, sorry, basic, basic take, I know, but it's, uh, yep, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie that's hard, and I think honestly impossible to talk about without superlatives. The best, this, the greatest, this, but like that is because to me, like it has the strength to bear that on its shoulders. And like a lot of movies over time have been labeled, right? The greatest film ever made. And I think sometimes over time they buckle under that weight, but I think this is one of the ones that I think has stayed true. And I think that's because not just of, of its immense scope, but it's care. And, you know, one of the, the things that's, you know, written by a lot by people that are a lot smarter than me, but Kurosawa's composition of movement within multiple levels in the frame in something like this is on display more than in any other movie. And it's just insane when you see, how people in the foreground and in the background are independently making different movements that I think speak to character as well as scene and composition and image. Um, and speaking of image, like, you know, not to say give too much context, but the image of the hilltop is like, to me, one of the great images of, in cinema history. Like it is one of the like ultimate, like, and this is one of the ultimate, like, this is why movies exist sort of things where it captures something that is, you know, in conception pretty simple as a story mechanism but i think has this immense weight behind it because of the people that are making it because of the actors because of the way that the characters are positioned not just versus each other and with each other but also against movies that around the time like if you compare this to other quote action movies of the 50s they just can't hold the can they're not even in the same conversation like this is probably this is also more kinetic than most modern and 80s, 90s, and 2000s action movies. I think that's a lot of that's a testament to the 
just like this is like the sort of the peak of his craft. I literally have written in my notes like number six, seven samurai. This is probably stupid to have this this low, and it probably is. And it's probably just me being too cute with my list or whatever. And maybe this is why you know quote lose or what what have you. But um, there's other stuff I just want to talk about. But I I knew that people would talk about this because this is like one of the great films ever made, and it's like this is the ultimate movie. I think this is one of those tests where if you're out somewhere and someone says this movie sucks you're like like the whole group is gonna be like yo whoa 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 like what the fuck are you talking about um and it's because i think it's from top to bottom from the smallest simplest things to you know moving to the characters to the you know, they're they're dressed to the the macro of the entire story and how it's structured and where the act break is in the middle where the intermission is like it's, it's such a perfect time to both not lose momentum but also give you a little bit of a breath um all that stuff is so key and it's like every single person and the performances even beyond obviously Mifune, the iconic and insane sort of wild card but every other person is so well calibrated to each other and like to the group that they're in and i love i love heist movies that have the getting the gang together montage and the whole thing in here where he's got the sword and he avoids it so easily as he's walking through the shop like that stuff is just it's just incredible um and again, like it's a movie that's like I don't know that any of us are going to have anything or super original to say about it, um, but it's just so special and like that's like why movies exist is to tell a story that can grasp on this sort of this sort of a stage and this sort of scale. It's 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 like nothing else. Yeah, I, I said Yojimbo was my favorite. Um, this is definitely one A though, and I mean Yojimbo is my favorite, but this is his best. Um, I don't think there's any there's only any you know contest there. Uh, it just, again, you know, it is three and a half hours long, but it's so perfectly structured. Um, just the way it's divided, you know, the first third is getting the game together. The second third is, you know, them coalescing with the villagers. And then the third, um, you know, the third act is the battle and everyone kind of builds on each other. But the, at the same time, they're kind of their own self-contained stories. Uh, the way Paul Paul was talking about, you know, just the, the, the way how real it feels with the movement and, you know, the, 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 the background. Um, the characters in this movie. Uh, I judge movies a lot by uh, side characters and how well fleshed out they are. And, you know, so many smaller characters in this movie have complete arcs. Uh, you know, the, the villagers and things like that, the relationship to the samurai, how those grow and develop. Uh, and that just makes this movie feel so real and this world feels so lived in. And it's character through action, not character through exposition. It's not yeah. just like, well, you know 20 details about this person. So look, they're a deep character. It's like, what does this person do when yeah. their life or someone else's life is on the line, how do they react when these life or death circumstances come upon them? And that's what character is about, in, in especially in an action movie. Yeah, like, absolutely. You don't care yeah. about what you say this person does or has done. What are we seeing them do? And that's yeah. everything the movie. Is. Yeah, there's no there's no waste of time in this movie. I mean, for as long as it is, there's no waste of time. There, there's no you know no, you, 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 there's no scene you're like, oh man, just shut up and move on to the next thing. Everything is it's just constant momentum. Um, and the character, like the, especially the main character, that, that a lot, some of this, you know, we talked about Shakespeare, some of the adaptations. This feels so Shakespearean to me. Uh, I think the characters are written that way. Uh, the dialogue, um, there's the one scene where the, 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 the characters introduce chopping wood, and there's that wordplay where he's talking about cutting the wood, and it's, it's, he's talking about, you know, cutting with a sword and kind of playing on that. That's, that's right out of Shakespeare to me. Um, yeah, the Russo bros said in Captain America Civil War, that's what they were thinking when they had Captain America chopping the wood. They're like, I was thinking Seven Samurai. You know? Nice. That's, that was in my head, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's so just, it's it's such a perfect, I mean, it's three and a half hours long. That's why I don't get to it as often as I want to, just because that, 
the, the, the actual commitment of time, not that it's something I don't want to do, but three and a half hours, it's hard to cut that time out of your day. Um, but I mean, this is a three and a half hour movie I go back to a lot more. And you can just watch part of it. It's like once you're watching part of it, it's like, fuck, I guess. We're watching yeah. <laughs> like, you can't just do it in pieces. Yeah, like, yeah it sucks you even in. Even movies I love. But you can't. Yeah. But I mean, oh. any other three, 90, if you, if you name a three and a half hour movie, if I tell you I've seen it, I'm probably never going to watch it again. This one I will get back to as often as I possibly can because that's how just how much there is to it. One quick thing that I forgot to mention, I love the introduction to the character of Kyuzo, played by Seiji Miyaguchi. The I just love how calm he is in his duel. Oh, and yeah. then how that plays off. I don't know. It's such a uh, quiet contrast to some of the other samurai that I love that scene. Maybe the most mm-hmm. in of, of the movie, Loki, my favorite scene in the movie. And I love his relationship that he develops with the younger samurai. I forget his the character's name, um, but like the, the, the like the mentor relationship they have there, and that's a great. Just just so many different relationships going on with all these different characters, and they all talk to each other different. They all treat each other different. Um, it just it just feels so real. Um, I'm a big fan so of the Shiro Mifune's bare ass cheeks. All right, everybody talked about Seven Samurai. We got that out of the way. Uh, Joseph, what is your number one? My number one is Ron. All right. Uh, once again, Shakespeare coming into play this time. <clears throat> this time based off of King Lear. And once again, Tatsuya Nakadai. This man is incredible. Uh, this movie is one of the most gorgeous movies. Not just, not just war movies, but any movie ever made. The... I, I love the technical scale of the colors and the costuming. Uh, I originally watched this last year for the feature presentation trivia watch challenge, watch a best Oscar, an Oscar winner for best costume design. And there's so much more to it that I couldn't help but fall in love with the, uh, the, the frames of this movie, like any frame could be a painting and it's in- incredible. The movie uh the not um so here's one way that i can talk about this one scene that um the first big battle sequence i think is so abrupt to how the first hour or so came before it that it's mesmerizing to me and so much more impactful than other than so many other war movies do and keep on going not losing any momentum from having their best opening battle scene and then later losing a little bit of that momentum looking at you saving private ryan uh but i love again i love how the shakespeare tropes come into play in this movie and how that builds on to that inherent tragedy about how war destroys everyone that one scene where Tatsuya Nakadai's character, Lord Hidetora Ichimonji, is wandering through th- those long blades of grass and they're like blowing around in the wind. That's just one of my favorite <laughs> moments in, 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 in any movie ever. It's incredible. The uh, lady, um, uh, lady, lady, hold on. Kaide? Uh, lady Kaide. Yes, I think she is really great and very mesmerizing. All the actors are mesmerizing, but the 
the villains in this movie really stuck out to me by <clears throat> by I like the I like the acting because I feel I like how theatrical it is how Shakespeare because because it's based on Shakespeare so I like that touch that those touches to it it's it's mesmerizing to me oh yeah I'll go next uh yeah I think that, too right yeah this is my number two uh oh, yeah, yeah. I think I don't use this word often because I think it's kind of overused, but this movie is fucking epic. Like it's, you can see why it was like, I, I can understand why this was, even though it's not my favorite job from him as a, as a director, I think it's definitely like top tier and I can understand why this was like his Oscar nomination. Uh, but uh, even though he definitely should have got it for seven samurai and one, but I mean, this is like, there's just so many like amazing moments. Like the the scale of this movie is just insane. Like it just looks so expensive. Like there's some certain battle battle sequence. Like again, there's one where it's one of my favorite moments in like all of his filmography, where Lord Ichimanji is inside of the the temple. Well, there's like these flaming uh, arrows being shot into it, and he's just sitting there quietly as all this stuff is going around him, and that and then like there's like just a pause in the action then he just walks out and it's just complete silence. like everyone just falls completely still and it's complete silence as they watch him just walk out it's like one of the most like it's like one of those scenes that just gives me like goosebumps when i watch it it's like so many amazing moments like that uh and yeah it's just a phenomenal phenomenal movie can't really say much more without echoing what everyone else said uh, I, this is number three. I don't have an original take in this at all. Uh, I concur. It's it's epic. I mean, uh, never has a movie started so green and lush, and it uh, has turned into not that by the end. Um, like, there's like this is the only Kurosawa movie that like I was genuinely shocked by just like how violent it is. Like this movie is so like intense, especially those. <coughs> excuse me. Especially I. I said that, you know, I said that uh, Seventh Samurai was pretty bleak, but man, like, not not even remotely close. Yeah, this movie's, this movie's an epic. I'm not going to belabor the point. Um, yeah, one of my favorites. I need to revisit this really soon. I, I haven't seen it in so long. I don't even know why I put it number three, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a great job today, guys. Um, <laughs> Happy to be here. Uh, you're doing fine, John. You're here. You made it here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mansan Nomura's character, the blind uncle, who is like one of like these like it's sort of like a funny outlier character in Kurosawa, just this insane blind man who has these crazy visions, and I just love his chaotic energy that he brings to the movie. Um, yeah, I mean the like nine minute castle sheet siege sequence is like one of the great action sequences to me in the history of cinema, like the way that the sound is sort of taken out at certain points and it's just the, the clanking of footsteps and, or, you know, the sound of people having their throats slit. Um, like they said, the scale in this is just ridiculous. Um, you know, maybe some of the greatest things that Coppola and Lucas ever did was helping get this movie funded, honestly. Um, but um, yeah, to take King Lear and to pull it into this period of Japan's history too, I think is like, not insignificant, I think, and to return to Shakespeare, I think, after you know twenty-five years of, of telling other different types of stories, is not a mistake. Um, I think it's Kurosawa sort of aged, and this is one of the in his. I'm reading his autobiography now, and this is one of the movies he talks about the most, um, just because of how much it took out of him as a 
person and as a filmmaker to make these sequences at the age that he was when he made it. Like, imagine making this at this age is crazy. It's like Ridley Scott making the last duel sort of type of energy, I think, there. Um, but yeah, like the taking these three men and, you know, putting them at odds against each other, obviously they're, they're brothers and everything, but you know, what people will do for, for power and for land. And that stuff doesn't really change over time. It just shifts into a different context, right? This is like, is this just not succession, but in ancient Japan in a way. Um, and yeah, like they mentioned the color stuff and it's just like those reds and yellows and blues are just insane. Like the banners when they're arriving at the meeting at the beginning, um, you don't see that stuff in any kind of movie, especially not on this scale. It's like un unseen and unheard of. Uh, yeah, that's what stuck with, out with me. The, uh, my last rewatch is just really how brutal this movie is. Um, I just kept thinking like Game of Thrones level brutality and just meanness. Uh, the battle scenes are great. Uh, and they don't make movies like this anymore. I mean, like literally it's kind of movie they don't make it. This would be, you know, just all the extras and the horses and the buildings really on fire, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's just, you know, that, that first battle scene where it's just extended shots of, people just bleeding to death and you know there's there's a shot where for one second there's just a guy holding his, he, his arms missing he's just holding his own arm and staring at it and just got you know just people getting spared and just brutally murdered um and then there's one thing i won't spoil but there's one thing that happens at the end of this movie um that only happens to punch you in the gut like it there's no reason for it to happen other than to just just punch you right in the gut because i actually thought i misremembered it because it had been a while since i saw it and i thought i had misremembered it and the thing like didn't happen and they teased it but um just just the last three minutes of the movie they so easily could have left this out and it just happens it's, it's just so brutal um but yeah you know talking about how they you know taking shakespeare in this uh part of history um what he did was he took king lear and he as inspiration, but he also blended it with an actual, uh, actual characters from or actual people from Japanese history, and I think that was a wise choice because it kind of puts a different spin on the Lear story. Um, you know, King Lear's biggest you know fault is that he's just foolish and he makes a bad decision. Um, but taking this and putting it in the real world situation it is the story here is now more about the chickens coming home to roost, and you know, there's really no good people in this movie you know even though he's taken advantage of and you know you feel bad because of the way his kids are treating him you realize that this is not a good man and he you know he kind of is just getting what he's coming and what his children are doing to him is basically what he taught them to do and this is like the natural recourse of the life that he's lived uh so i think that's really interesting and yeah you guys said i'll say about the cinematography the battle scenes everything um so good um so yeah this is one actually when i first watched it it was a little much for me um i think a lot more out of it more uh this second rewatch and i want to go back to it more and i'm sure i'll get more out of it um so that brings us to paul and your number one my number one is obviously the 1944 propaganda film the most beautiful uh, <laughs> uh my number my number one is sort of spoiled if you saw my t-shirt uh, but it's it's high and low um i think on you know there are days where this is my favorite movie of all time there are days where you know it's number two or number three or something but it's always sort of in the handful um and it's like to me this is the this is like the ultimate crime epic but it's not that epic in a way you know it start it has this seemingly grand scale but it's so filtered through the personal um as a quick aside i'm sure this is exciting for john he may or may not already know this but the kid who gets kidnapped masahiko shimazu is the little shit 
um, from Good Morning, the Ozu film that is uh, John's profile picture on Letterboxd, if anybody follows him, which is always very amusing to me to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of the brilliance is in the conception, right? A rich, powerful shoe executive is on the brink of this huge deal. All of his stuff, you know, his, his life is kind of on the line. And um, then all of a sudden he finds out his son is kidnapped and the man demands a ransom. But, oh, wait, maybe it's not his son. Um, and the morality of that, but then the way that the film evolves, right, it starts almost at this sort of, what you, you know, there's a metaphorical way you can see it as it starts in heaven with these rich people in their own lives. It descends into sort of normal life with the police and this procedural element and then descends furthermore into hell. Um, with the man with this that, that kidnaps the child and to me it's that transition that makes it like such a masterpiece i think um it's you know it's got this great procedural element to it which i think is really satisfying and i think a lot of people like are surprised by that maybe when they watch it they don't realize like oh it becomes like the cops are looking for this kidnapper and i love the way that there are like two experts on each specific aspect of the investigation it's like they're specializing on like the phone booths and these guys are specializing on like the stolen cars and these guys are specializing on this. And I love the way that that all comes together. In addition to the morality play at the center of the story, which is Gondo to Shiro Mifune, um, which is to me, like to me in my mind, the, defin the definitive character that he plays, but um, it's this man who started poor and then ascended to the top. And it's what will he do to maintain that, right? And it's this man who's who's jealous of him and wakes up every day and sees this house on a hill. And if you're this guy, you probably hate that guy too. Like this rich asshole who lives, you know, this life of luxury and he represents everything you don't have. And it's about like what he's willing to do to obtain that himself and um, how he'll debase himself and use other people. Uh, and I think to me, one of the biggest reasons I love this much is visually, it's just... The image of, of the kidnapper popping his head above the grass with the sunglasses reflected in there, um, the sort of the closing image when those sort of bars come down after their discussion, which I think is an interesting, I think, conversation with Brisson's pickpocket. If anyone's seen that film, like that is a sort of counter response to that sort of ending, which Paul Schrader has done like in seven different movies, the exact same ending. Um, we get it. We love uh, pickpocket. But um, it's all those elements coming together in one singular piece to me that makes it so satisfying. And, you know, when you have these interweaving dynamics of his underling who has worked with him for years, but does he want power? Does he not want power? What will he sacrifice on behalf of, of Mifune's character? And what will he not? Um, and I just find every second of this enrapturing and captivating. And I showed my father this movie for the first time two nights ago. And it was just such a special experience for me to watch something like this. A movie he had never seen, right, of this era, uh, this contemporary version of, of Kurosawa coming off the heels of, um, of you know Yojimbo and Senjiro, you, it's kind of surprising to see him flip back to the modern era, um, but he does it so well. I still don't know that I understand fully the symbolism of the one scene of color in the movie. I don't know that I've really cracked what that is supposed to mean. Um, Looks great though. But to me, every inch of the movie is just incredible. The way that they're crouching when they're hiding from from the man in the window and all that stuff is just it's unlike anything else. And um, this just is like one of the movies I think that defines my love of movies as a whole. So I think it's it's hard to understate how much this movie means to me overall. All right. And uh, John and Joseph, I think you both had this as your number two. So you guys go ahead. Is John with us? Uh, maybe start with Joseph and then go to Yeah, John. go ahead, Joseph. You can start, start us off. Yeah. This uh, this movie and Ron are, are very are, – are you back, John? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can go though, Joseph. You've already said Yeah, yeah. Keep going. All right. Yeah. This and Ron to me are his or at least my two favorite Kurosawa films. The amount of detail to and, and Paul is just naming a handful of the details that they add to this procedural uh, drama and thriller crime thriller for this kidnapping story is fascinating to me and it really it's at it's at some points overwhelming but i love that it's a very detail-oriented and uh uh, it's a very detail-oriented movie that just keeps uh keeps me glued to the screen and once again we're going to talk about uh toshiro mifune and tatsuya nakadai and i think the way that they the movie focuses on i like the way how in the first half it it focuses on toshiro mifune and him trying to deal with this situation, but also having this dilemma of how how he tries to prioritize his family and his business. And then later we move over to Tatsuya Nakadai, who is is playing the inspector on the case. Uh, I don't think I, for me personally, I feel like the more the more movies that I see with Tatsuya Nakadai, the more I feel like this guy needs to be talked about more. It is insane to me that he has this diabolical role in yojimbo and then the following year he gives one of the most haunting performances i've ever seen in harakiri and then this movie might be the most straightforward of it but he's still good in it as the inspector in high and low it's it's crazy to me i think that it's very it's it's just endlessly thrilling for me the contrast between the high and low is really frightening that one scene or the later scenes the later scenes where they're trying to where you see the kidnapper interacting with the low so to speak without giving too much away are super haunting but just really impactful and but and also really uh incredible in in terms of how they all connect with the overall themes and the title of the movie as well. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time as well. John, this is your number two as well. Oh, okay, I'm already starting to break up, and I don't want to like I don't want to end this show on on that. So just a couple things. Um, number one, uh, Paul, I pegged you more for a Sanchiro Sugata Part Two guy. Uh, <laughs> um, and also, yeah, uh, Isamu from from Good Morning uh, Ohio. That that is that little shit is my spirit animal. <laughs> uh, also, yeah, uh, High and Low is just another stupid thing. High and Low, it's like a lot of there are a lot of Japanese actors. Uh, well, I guess like that's sort of ecosystem. There are a lot of people, in, but um, like a lot of people, like small actors from like my favorite Japanese films are in it. Like um, Satsumi Yamazaki. Who's like weirdly more handsome in this movie than Toshiro Mifune? Like just personal opinion. Like he's he's in Tempopo, which is another favorite of mine. Uh, you guys said uh, this has happened a lot tonight, but you guys have said a lot of the things that I loved about it. This is the only movie uh, in this panel that I watched for the first time and included on the list. And um, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about uh, the movie's capitalist critique. There's a lot to be said about, um, that the sort of how it pivots into the police procedural and how the movie sort of folds inwards on itself to, to, to show how people like how, how society, um, to, to put it, one of my friends on Letterboxd have put it so eloquently to criminalize people on the margins, how society criminalizes people on the margins. 
um, there's a lot to say there, but um, I guess I'll end with a superlative because that's just kind of a Kurosawa way. Um, you know, I watched this movie the first time a couple weeks ago, and there are very few movies that I watch where it's just like so obviously a masterpiece, just like so early on. It was like that with Seven Samurai when I was in ninth grade. It was like that recently with Dragon Inn and with Throwdown and with this. Yeah, I could definitely see this becoming like my favorite. Um, Seven Samurai is great. Again, it, like Paul said, like it has that reputation and it has the laurels formally that, that just like it, it, you could call it the best ever. But to me, uh, um, this movie is probably textual, te like just textually everything. It's probably one of his most accomplished pieces of film ever. One of just like the most accomplished pieces of film art that I've seen. So, um, yeah, very obviously a masterpiece. I cannot wait to revisit it. I'm breaking up, so I need to go. Okay. <laughs> so you got all of that. Good. Um, yeah, I rewatched this uh, just this past week. No, uh, he talked. To, he meant he alluded to it earlier. We'll yeah. get it. Uh, um, yeah, I rewatched this. The first time I watched this didn't really stick with me. Second time, I really connected with it more. Um, I love just how literal the title is. You know, the, the first half is high, the second half is low. Um, the first half is I also enjoy how it's not it's a you know thrill like the, the thriller of you know can we get the kid back but it's also that eternal struggle of the decision uh, that Gongo is going to make is he going you know is going is he going to do the right thing or not um, so I think you, you have all that going on there and that tension just builds and builds and builds and builds and then that resolves itself and you're like okay where's the movie going to go here and then it kind of pivots there becomes more of that procedural and it's just as intense just in a different way. Um, I love those scenes. And I'm not a big police procedural guy. Usually those movies kind of turn me off. Um, but this one just paced so well. I love those scenes in the police headquarters uh, what Paul alluded to where it's like, hey, you know, okay, you're following up on this. So what's going on with that? Okay, where are we at on this? Just the, and everybody. It's, it's basically just, it, it's an exposition. It's like, okay, we went here, here, here. This happened, this happened, this happened. But somehow the way they, they present it is, is, is so interesting, so much fun. Um, and yeah, the visuals, like you said, the, the, the sunglasses, um, just, just a great character design for that villain. And, you know, especially after you've been waiting to see him for so long. Um, or yeah, the, him with the red carnation in his pocket when he's walking yeah. around like, mm -hmm. near the end of the movie too. Yeah. Like this, there are the wrapping on his hand, all the little details like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then and, one thing is, sorry, real quick. I forgot to mention is I love that there are certain scenes where nobody can make eye contact with each other. Everyone's just staring at the floor as they talk. Yeah. Um, especially when Mifune is like yelling, there's characters all throughout the, the scene, especially in their house where there'd be someone sitting on the couch, someone standing by the window, someone standing over here and they're all sort of just eyes frozen, trained at the ground. Um, cause they can't make, make eye contact. They can't see eye to eye. And it's like that tension is yeah. like, you could poke through with the knife. Yeah. And, and everybody just, even like the, um, what do they call it? Boston? Is that the one? The yeah, one? Boston. The bald guy? Yeah. yeah. Just they make so, fun of when they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like there's just some, and, like and you get and you get the feeling like these are again real characters, you know, like yeah. they've worked together a long time, they know each other, and, and, and that just plays so well. Um, and Mufune is great, like just this comes a, just a few years after um, The Bad Sleep Well, and just to yeah. see those two characters, how different that is, he's so great. And like John was saying, how it has it's like a critique of capitalism, but at the same time, the capitalist is a pretty sympathetic figure. Um, which I think is just such a nice nuanced way to do it. You know, it's not the obvious uh, way that, you know, a lot of people present that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. This is another one I'm going to go back to. Again, I, I watch this. To be honest with you, Paul, I knew how much you love this. And I was like, I was, I was like, oh, is it really that great? Um, but this time it, I, it really caught on for me. And I want to go back to it again. Uh, Dylan, you did not have this. Uh, tell us your story for ILO. 
Right. So uh, I, I personally, this is just a weird, I don't think there's objectively like really anything wrong with this movie. It might like, if I were making this list objectively, it'd probably be pretty high, but in terms of my favorites, I'm not like, I'm not super, well, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say the low part of the film, like the second act of the, or not act, but the second half of the film is like bad by any means. It's just for me, I think the first half, like the high part is like so, so good and like so great. That is like, once it gets to, once it switches and becomes like just the police procedural, I'm not as crazy about it. I'm still with it. Like I still think it's really well done, but not really my genre, I guess, police procedurals. But I still think there's like some amazing like moments in it, like, I mentioned uh, earlier about how Kurosawa is just like a really optimistic uh, filmmaker. And I feel like there's some moments in here what I, I'm going to try to tap dance around without giving any way, away anything, but where it's like characters are like rewarded in a sense for, uh, for making like the moral decisions in ways that you don't often see in movies with this dark subject matter in a way that I think it's in a way that feels very like natural and very well done where like ever you people are like very complex and obviously like the Mifuni's character is not a great man but really at the beginning of the film at all but it's like yeah he just watching like his I almost spoiled the movie right there I, can we give away the middle <laughs> part of the movie that happens I'm trying really hard to move around it <laughs> I don't know but yeah I, I think this movie is great just not personally in my 10 favorites it, it was my 10 yeah. but Dursley's all that knocked it off but, honestly yeah. i could i i could see that take where the second half just doesn't live up to the first because that first is so strong i enjoy yeah. it but i could i can definitely see someone coming at it from that angle um okay so that is the uh show um let's do our combined top 10 off of everybody's list uh 10 bad sleep wells nine starts uh Starry dog, <laughs> gray dog. Uh, eight, Dersu Zala. Seven is uh, Kagemusha. Six, Throne of Blood. Five, Akeru. Five, uh, four, High Low. Three, Lujimbo. Two, Ran. One, Seven Samurai. So for the most part, it looks pretty. Uh, That's exactly you know, my top three. Um, so I got to give out grades. Everybody gets an A. Um, oh, good, John's back. Everybody gets an A. Um, it's Kurosawa. You're picking Kurosawa movies. There's no way you can't uh, succeed on that. Uh, I am contractually obligated to name a winner, um, or at least rank your lists. I'm not going to say winners or losers. I'm just going to rank the lists. Uh, so uh, this is splitting hairs at this point, so don't take anything here. I say too uh, too much to heart. Um, I think I'm going to give Dylan first place just because he had Yojimbo and Seven Samurai uh, in his top three, and he had uh, Matadeo uh, on, on his list, and Bias. I just watched that last night. So I'm going to put Dylan number one. Uh, I'll give Paul second because he's the only one who had Sanjuro. Um, and I really like Sanjuro. Um, I will give uh, John number three because he had Yojimbo and Seven Samurai pretty high. And I like the rest of his list as well. And uh, Joseph is fourth just because somebody has to come in fourth. Um, but they're all solid lists. Um, and uh, I appreciate you guys all being here. I love doing this. I know we didn't have uh, probably the live chat that we wanted, but I, I hopefully a lot of people watch this uh, on the on the rerun. And I'd like to do more kind of auteur, uh, maybe a little deep dive uh, episodes like this. Not necessarily be hosting, but I'd definitely like to see more shows. Johnny like Toe with me and John over here. <laughs> do, so do, you, do, you, do, you, do that in a heartbeat. Holy <laughs> shit. 
uh, hopefully um, we can um, do that again. Uh, but again, uh, remember to stay tuned. Next week starts Kehoe's Musical Top 40. Great, uh, great panel for that. That's going to be a lot of fun uh, all month through August. Uh, then we'll take a couple weeks regular shows and uh, Top 100 Scenes starts in the fall. If you're interested in that, please uh, let me know. You don't have to have a list ready today, um, but at least let me know you're interested. We can talk about who our fourth panel is so far. It is Cody. It is Jake and uh, Jake uh, Mayangoni, and it is Scott Harvey, Scott. R3. Yeah. So we need one more. If you'd like that to be you, let us know. And we'll see what we can do. Um, until then, uh, thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, John. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Coho Behind the Scenes. And we will see you next week. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow! I hurt my arm! Bob, and I'd expect everybody to do everything. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.